Recording straight out of Five Scotland, you're listening to Films and Swearing, episode 250. I'm your host, Stuart Sutherland, and joining me across the internet, Magic Mike Christie. Yeah. Yep, so for episode 250, we've decided to do a 1980 triple bill with Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, Dress to Kill, and Star Crazy. And these choices are mainly because we've kind of hit all the other big numbers from 1980. Films like The Shining and uh, amongst others, kind of, they've already been tapped. Mm. So, uh, this is what we kind of got out of like our Twitter polls. And originally we were supposed to have a long good Friday, but we've decided to switch that out and have a Bob Hoskins uh, double bill for episode 251. So you just could just hold your horses on that one and look forward to it next time. So, how's it going anyway? Aye, no bad man, no bad. Stab at off on Tuesday, so. Mm. And that was a long yesterday, like phoning suppliers and just telling the world obviously reopening them uh, next week and all that. And just seeing kind of if they've got like a reduced like delivery service or like. Stuff like that, but it seems to be alright, so. Oh, well, that's not too bad. Aye. That'll be interesting, though. It'll be completely different from what we do before, like, so. Aye, that's it. Like, my work has now adopted uh, like a one way system, and um, we're taking the kid down to his school visit next week. Alex, he's getting to visit the primary school because he'll be going there after the summer. Uh, but it'll mm. be getting done in a way that, well, I can. It's like part-time learning, and that's the funny thing. We uh, don't we don't know cool. how long this is going to last. Is it just going to be part-time learning for the rest of the year? And then come January twenty twenty one, all the kids are back in class together, or mm. is it now going to be like primary one A and primary one B? So half of the class get taught uh, in the first half of the week, thing, eh? and then the other half get taught the second half of the week. Yeah, it's going to be a strange way to do it. I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen. Aye, that's it. Kind of get back into the habit. But I, yeah, I've just been working as well and just trying to incorporate movies around whilst I'm working. Like if I'm working from home, I've been sticking like films on. I watched, uh, wait, yeah, uh, rewatched uh, Inside Man. The day. Uh, I was convinced. Uh, I was like it. Yeah, I was convinced. I remember if I'd seen it before. I must have bought it on DVD way back in the day, and remember it being really good. And I just forgot how fucking like it was longer than I remembered, but it was like more intricate in how they planned everything and. And mm. I, I was convinced that this was going to be like one of these Spike Lee movies where he isn't he going to get that weird floating shot of someone walking. I were like everything kind of like it's like they're on a conveyor belt. Aye. Aye. But then obviously when you see that hostage <coughs> getting shot, it's fucking Denzel running to the bank and it's like a zoomed up version of him flying towards the building. Hmm. 
It is. It's like it's, it must just be his trademark because I feel like there's maybe been one film I've not seen him do it. Uh, like I just thought it was like a weird camera effect at the end of like Black Clansman. Like when they're just kind of drifting down the hallway towards the window with the cross. Aye, aye, I know, aye. And then, I can't even remember what moment it happens in Do the Right Thing, but I remember there's one that cried, Mo Better Blues, and Spike Lee's walking down the street to get away for Samuel Jackson, who's like a loan shark. And it's like kind of that slow glide of him going down the street. Then you see Sam's jacket, and he quickly turns around and quickly starts gliding in the other direction. Because <laughs> that mo bit of blue, that's say like the jazz one with Denzel and all that. Yeah. Aye, aye, that's pretty decent. Aye. It's got uh, Wesley Snipes in it as well. Aye. But, um, aye, I reckon what? Aye, I was talking about fucking films and work. And for the times I do have to come into work and like fix laptops or computers, I've been downloading films on Netflix and just kind of propping my phone on the desk. So like uh, last week, playing them in the background. Aye, exactly. It's funny every time I seem to start a film, it's when my boss shows up. And it's like, oh, I never come into the office uh, now. And it's like funny. I get half an hour into Steve Jobs and you appear. Uh, but um, what was it? it was that and that. Uh, Denzel movie Roman J S Roman J Israel Esquire. I have seen seen folk talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, surprisingly decent. Quite enjoyed it. Uh, but I have seen that they've got uh, um, Spike Lee's version of Old Boy on there. So I've I think I've downloaded that from an ex or actually that might not be too safe to play in the workplace. Steve Jobs and Roman sure J. Sure Israel watched. are quite sure safe films. But I'm sure I watched the, the old boy last year, I think, like when it first went on. Aye. And I was alright, I was alright. I'm pretty sure the, the, like, the twist was a wee bit like it, it was the same, like, same twist, but the reason behind it all, like. Yeah. It was a wee bit different and all that. Aye. But, and I don't think it's got much of the, like, his. Regular cast members, other than like Sam Jackson, usually tends to show up in your your Spike Lee movies. But it'll be interesting uh, to see if Josh Brolin does like that glide. Uh, see if because that's it. I just remember the film not having really many redeeming qualities, other than getting a ah uh, uh, fuck what was that Olsen, not the Olsen twin. Anyway. Elizabeth, that's it. Uh, I were getting to have a sex scene at the end of it, that which was surprisingly revealing. I was like, "This is the film you're whipping them out for." Fair enough, but now in like all the Marvel context, it's like, "Ah, oh, Scarlet Witch and Thanos—they've hooked up." And like they'll probably like because they kind of really get away with saying this was a film that she done like she wasn't well known because exactly she was like, kind of known around that time. Yeah, as well. I think it was sort of like a a big deal because it was a huge Korean film and then it was clear like a huge film director's taking it on but I was seeing reviews on um, fuck what was it uh, Letterboxd calling it out for like some of the product placement in it is just fucking blatant where it kind of that gives you the impression uh-huh. this was a studio making them use uh, was it is it the, the app Shazam like things like that like 
but fuck, I've not seen it since it came out in pictures fucking ages ago. So I'll try and revisit it soon, just to kind of tick the box for all the Spike Lee films I'm kind of either watching for Aye. the first time or revisiting. And then, of course, you've got his new film on Friday. Aye. Oh, as the date that we're recording this. Um, aye. In the Five Bloods. So, that should be interesting. Aye, I think I'm... Yeah, chilled out weekend this weekend before I go back, so I'll probably watch it. Aye. Actually, I think you get... But the thing is, like, I fucking... Like, when they released the trailer, i seen the comments. And the comments aimed at fucking Chadwick Boseman were fucking red. Ridiculous. Aye. And I was like, it was almost kind of like calling him like a sellout and all that. Mm-hmm. Aye. It's weird. I think, um, I think it'll be decent though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd imagine it'll fucking be trending something awful. And the fact that all the fucking chaos that's going on about Black Lives Matter in like America just now, and I, I don't uh, know, like, People will watch it anyway, but I feel like it's going to get a lot more attention just with like Spike Lee uh, being a significant black filmmaker and and he's always really outspoken mm. when it comes to uh, like fucking police violence towards black people and and like it stems back to all his own fucking films. So mm. and I've mentioned to you as well, like now TV, they all their what's trending is like do the right thing and black clansmen are like the, currently like the most watched films on sky and like and it's even it's like the front page of letterbox do the right things like fucking trending and uh, and i have seen two or three get, lists I emails of, i keep getting emails from fucking uh, ebay telling me like the criterion edition yeah do it i think it's like, like keeps on being like realistic and all that eh? <laughs> it's like, are you sure you know what buy it yet and i'm like i'm like oh i'm just gonna wait until i get paid in like two weeks mm-hmm. and uh, i'll probably buy it because it's only it's 25 it's, it's 30 everywhere else and that's like i went mean, like added like delivery so it'll be like 33 with delivery but aye. 25 with suit like the suit and the delivery charge on the ebay is all right yeah Right, and that's it. And I'm assuming it's going to hear tons of fucking features as well. Oh, exactly. Because it's uh, first of all, it's Criterion. It's like thirtieth anniversary or twenty fifth anniversary. My thirtieth. Uh, it's the thirtieth. I came in twenty nineteen. Yeah. So, like, it should have features. Like, it'd be good if I. Had, I'm always a fucking sucker for like audio commentaries, but if there's like documentaries and that as well. As long as it, like there's something that makes it worth paying twenty five quid for the uh, film, so. So I watched um, I watched Black Klansman on Saturday night. I watched the the wee five minute behind the scenes thing with um with the real. Oh yeah. Um fucking, oh what's his name? Rod Starlin. Oh, ah, Rod Stallworth. Stallworth, aye. Yeah. And it's like we're having like, talking with fucking like behind the scenes with like Spike and and uh, Adam Driver and all that. Aye, aye. Yeah, <clears throat> and that's I'll, I fucking do adore those films, but just when I look, it's like five minute making of, and it's like, oh. Aye. I I wish there was more special features on some of these things, but. Mm-hmm. Ah. 
Anyway, let's have a look at our films for today. So we're starting off, uh, we're doing it in the order that they were released in cinemas. So, Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back was released in May 1980. So we're going to start with that one first. It is from director Irvin Kirshner. 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 Uh, and it's one of these ones where I still always assume that fucking, what was it, George Lucas done everything with the original films. And I'm always surprised when I was like, wait... He didn't direct this, but obviously yeah. played a heavy part as like producer and kind of behind half the stories and that. But uh, Kirshner's got his directing credits include obviously Empire Strikes Back, the the uh, Sean Connery uh, Bond film, Never Say Never Again. Then did you just say Robocop two? Aye. Yes, I think that was like one of his last like uh, feature film credits it looked like he'd done a couple tv shows after that but he also uh, uh, helmed the the film the eyes of laura mars which is i'm certain one of those john carpenter wrote the script and uh, yeah I'm, I'm i'm certain that's an arrow release and it's just kind of how they're going through whatever like fucking john carpenter's written now but not necessarily directed so, mm. anyway, the film stars Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, Harrison Ford as Han Solo, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia, Billy D. Williams as Lando Calrissian, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, David Prowess as Darth Vader, and of course, um, ah, fucking hell, I've just forgotten the fucking voice of Darth Vader. Oh, James L. Jones. That's it. Uh, Peter Mayhew is Chewbacca, Kenny Baker is R2-D2, Frank Oz is the voice of Yoda, Alec Guinness as Ben Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Jeremy Bach as Boba Fett. Uh, Mike, what is the plot to Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back? Let's start this. Uh, aye, so, uh, after the success of the first one, uh, film kicks off where uh, Luke Skywalker's on the planet Hoth and he's looking for Yoda. Mm-hmm. And then there's all other fucking stuff involved and then they're trying to get back to uh, what's his name? Fucking like, Solo's looking for um, his help for Cal Rizian and all that. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it because that's, fo- that's what the film mainly focuses yeah. on because there's not like a big massive like, space battle like what there is in like, the, like, the third one and the first one and all that. Ah. This one's like, like kind of like a concluding one, and it kind of ends with like like a like to be continued sort of thing. Eh? Aye, pretty much. It's definitely one of those films where they spend the majority of it being pursued. Mm. So uh, obviously, there's no point asking, "Have you seen this film before?" Because come on, we've all seen this film before. Uh, yeah. What's your opinion of the film? I think I think everybody has Empire Strikes Back at the top of the. West of their Star Wars ranking. Mm. Doubt there's many that that didn't. I mean, I think like I'm pretty sure I said like when I was a kid, I enjoyed the Return of the Jedi more. But like, yeah, like growing up and like you kind of appreciate what the what Empire had done. Aye, definitely. I kind of had like a a similar feeling. I was I was always a fan of the the Episode Six because it. There was so much going on. It was like a different setting as well. They were in 
the fucking forest with the Ewoks and all that nonsense was going on. But this one, it's kind of like the biggest swerve in the story. You've got the, like, so many characters introduced, like Yoda, uh, Lando, Boba Fett, and then you kind of find out what happens, like your main heroes, because obviously there's this conflicting love triangle between Han Solo, Princess Leia, they were like the will they, won't they, but of course then she's still fucking <laughs> snogging Luke before they all find out mm. that it's all this big incestual space opera, but uh. <laughs> but I as when watching it today, it's the one where kind of everything happens like this is the one that kind of mm. leaves you on like the cliffhanger like cunts are losing their hands people are getting fucking frozen in carbonite uh, you think everything's going to shit i think there's always like a uh st- not a star wars quote like a kevin smith quote uh, i think if it came for clerks where they're all they're dogging down um empire saying it's the film that ends on such a downer but it's the one where it's kind of everything happens. Those memorable quotes, the whole fucking look, I'm your father, and it, it's yeah. probably the, like the meatiest one. The fact when I turned it on and realised, Christ, it's two hours long. And I forget how long these films are on for, but there's so yeah. much kind of happens in those two hours. You end up appreciating it. Because when I, when I watched it last month, like, I was just going through all the Skywalker films before I got my copy of Rise of Skywalker in the mail and stuff. Yeah. And uh, well, also I, I suffered through the fucking uh, the prequel trilogy and all that. And then, I mean, I'll say, like, struggle, but I mean, I quite enjoyed uh, Revenge of the Fifth. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes to like, the original trilogy, like, they were just an easy watch. Like, Aye. Yeah, you could just breeze through those. Yeah, and I hadn't just like because you always kind of like I forgot that like Boba Fett was in the an Empire and all that. Aye, and like, so you can't, like I kind of forgot as well about the whole double cross with like Calrissi and with eh, like with Darth Vader and all that. Aye, aye. Ah, doesn't I always love that shot where they walk into like it's like a big dining hall and there's fucking Darth Vader sitting at the top of the table and they're like fuck. <laughs> fucking shooting hand shooting at him and he's just like deflecting the fucking bullets with his hand obviously the film I feel is kind of split into sort of three stories you've got the the introduction of Yoda which then leads to him um, like Luke's Jedi training then you kind of have the mm. the love-hate relationship between Han and Leia and then you've just kind of got Vader uh, choking pictures like it's going out of fashion. Yeah. And th- this time he's even doing it over like f- like fucking video call. He's having a conversation with one boy, another guy, another side of the screen is fucking <laughs> being choked to death. And it's just, mm. it's not even to the point where like Vader's holding his hand, choking the man. Like he's just having a general conversation with another general, but there's fucking some dude having his life choked out of him. There's just wee things like that I just found funny. But mm. and like always, but you always kind of forget that like it opens up with that brilliant fucking uh, shot. A look, it opens up with the either on the ATT battle. Eh? Aye, yeah, I, 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 with the fucking he gets fucking mauled by some 
fucking abominable. Like, I think like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, aye, with big tusks. Like, I, that would be, I thought, like a, if they'd done something where, like, Mark Hamill pissed off the studio and the film opens on half, and or half, and then a big fucking snow creature just wipes him and the fucking, it's a tauntaun, isn't it? What they call the creature. Uh, they just wipe him out. Mm. It's like, what if they just fucking killed him there? Is it right? Okay, fucking day one, kill off fucking so- <laughs> kill off Luke, and then just focus on Han Solo and Princess Leia. But no, he gets. I like how they hang him up in the fucking cave. Like if they were just saying, right, I'll save him for later. We'll just hang him in the freezer. But the fucking look in the boy's face, like I could see, imagine that facing him, like after a hard night partying. I could just see him waking up mm. like that, fucking wee bit blood, bloodshot eyes, and the fucking big snow creature sitting munching on the, the fucking tauntaun. I was kind of waiting for him to pull a fucking Leo and like, like slice it open and wear it. <laughs> Aye, that was always like that. Laying around the hall, pretending to be a fucking giant yeti. <laughs> and it's almost it's just a cruel thing where. He goes to make his escape. He he uses his Jedi powers to fucking bring the lightsaber to his hand, and he just fucking whips an arm off the Yeti, then fucks off, and the Yeti's absolutely freaking out. Hmm. Poor bastard. Right, and that's it. I do like the fact that they've started the film off in like a completely different setting. Cause that's it. Star Wars, you expect like the fucking the deserts and or the space setting, but the fact that they're now based on this fucking snowy planet, it just kind of changes the whole appearance of the film, the tone, because they're not only kind of fleeing, but they're hiding at this point where they're thinking they're safe. But then, obviously, by mm. the time the fucking Empire finds out, and then all of the those uh, Imperial Walkers show up. It gives them a chance to, like, do some new stuff. Stuff you never got to see in the last film. And I guess that's that was probably the whole point. Like, maybe through the point of maybe merchandising. Like, let's introduce all these new fucking robots. Because mm-hmm. I can never remember the name of them. If it's like a... a is that an at? Ah, it's like an ATAT, yeah? Yeah, aye. There's one of these things where they've never... Figure out what that pronunciation of it is. Because uh, people always like question this. Like, like, how do you pronounce it? Do you pronounce it ATA or do you pronounce it ATAT? I've always just pronounced it an ATAT, yeah. Yeah. And I was, I had, I was particularly listening to it the day thinking, right, what do they fucking call it? And they called it an Imperial Walker. And I was like, what? So, like, we're all arguing over something that's like, okay, that's its fucking official name, but they just called it like an Imperial Walker in the film. I was like, Oh, yeah. So it didn't even answer the question for me, but I did like that. I mean, I had a, I mean, I had a model of one of them when I was a kid. Like, aye, I wouldn't be surprised if that's one of those fucking things you get out like a magazine. Over the course of ninety issues, you get a little piece of plastic for five pound a week, and you end up spending. <laughs> you have to buy the glue yourself. <laughs> aye, oh, those fucking scams! Like you can still get things like that today. And I'm pretty sure they still do ones where it's like, build the Millennium Falcon across a thousand issues at £10 a piece. <sighs> One thing I do like, uh, I noticed uh, they had, obviously, Han Solo sent people 
out to have a look for Luke after he got fucking battered by the 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 Yeti and the guy that was going about in the spaceship having a look for like any signals thing like that and he was describing himself as a Rogue Two pilot and I thought that's fucking brilliant because I'm no too sharp on all the like the Star Wars canon but I'm aware of Rogue One and the whole things that went through yeah. that movie but the fact that he was a Rogue Two pilot it was just like oh man I kind of backstory to like the, the fucking team that came before him and I love that the people that made these new generation of films was just picking bits of the canon of the old one and kind of just filling in the blanks. Mm. So just uh, hearing, like, re-watching the old films and just kind of picking up more of it from all these new ones. So uh, I kind of enjoyed that wee bit where it was like a, a Rogue Two pilot trying to find Luke. Uh, I really need to re-watch Rogue One. I've only watched it like the one time, so I need to... Mm-hmm. Can you get another watch? Aye. And, of course, I also... The one thing I love about uh, the Star Wars movies, kind of like overall, and this one especially, is the fucking scores. Like, the fucking music. Aye. I don't care why, but I just felt like it was so fucking extra powerful in this film. Like, for for example, the when the rebels are evacuating Hoth, and all the Imperial walkers are closing in, and it's like this full orchestral fucking score, and it's like, like going absolute mental as they're all running to the ships trying to get away and all you just see is like the giant footsteps of the fucking walkers closing in on their camp. Mm. And like, like, really, like, the, like I think like what people like, appreciate it, it's like, it's that is like, it's all miniature work that they use. Yes, aye. And, and that's like, there's a... no fucking CGI or anything, there's mm-hmm. no green screen, no, it's just sort of like, Miniature work, yeah. And it's even like the the animation they use for, uh, like Luke on the Tauntaun, where you could kind of it's like almost like a claymation or stop motion animation effect of them riding about on the the big fucking uh, Tauntaun creatures. Mm. And it's also done in a way where it could be easily disguised in a snowstorm. You you can't tell because it's almost like Jason the Argonaut style animation. Where it's kind of shot from a distance, but you could just tell it's it's a, a practical effect. Yeah. One of the other things I would, like about the Hoff sequence before we move on is obviously when Vader like appears when he gets to Hoff and they kind of storm the base when they're blowing things up and like when uh, Han Solo and Leia were making the run for it. The fucking the. The gear that the stormtroopers are wearing, where they're now wearing kind of like cloaked hoods, looked a wee bit too clan uh, esque for my liking. <laughs> I was like, I, I use, I normally wear helmets. That should still protect you for this. So I think why you've kind of got these big long hoods, like especially the bottom half of the mask. I was like, I that you just need like a little pointy hat, and then like, aye, that's culturally insensitive, but. <laughs> uh, if only it was a uh, spike leaves directing it, it would be that uh, escalator fucking fucking, <laughs> fucking traveling down. Ah, exactly. That would be more intimidating as well with his fucking theme music and him just gliding across the fucking hall. Uh, 
like put him like that in a sequence to Rogue One where he's going through a hallway destroying rebels. Like just make him look like he's fucking floating towards the one end of the hall to the other uh. ending bitches. Hey, let's see. Should we focus on some characters? I do like this film for the look because he's kind of in that middle stage. He's no like hopeless farm boy. Uh, he's now actually becoming something. Ah, uh, it's a bit more uh, key, key player. And that's the thing, like, I bet, like, I'm sure, like, so when Star Wars got, like, released and like, you would kind of think that, like, the central, like, character would probably be Han Solo and that, when really it's not. Aye. And that's it. They all kind of get an even amount of screen time with this one. Um, but it's just that you forget that Yoda was never in it from the start. The fact that he shows up in this, the second one, but he's a fucking, like, a wee scoundrel. Like when he first mm. shows up, he's so inquisitive. He's fucking digging through his stuff, kind of like a nosy bairn, and looks like, "Hey, stop! You gotta break something." And cut to like fucking Yoda being this great Jedi master, and you've got that shot of Luke, great shot where he's running through the forest and he does a fucking uh, front flip. Like they just need some like additional dialogue of Yoda going, "Whoa, fucking hell! Calm down! Come on!" I mean, what do you like about Yoda in this one? I mean, I thought, yeah. to be honest, I wasn't a massive Yoda fan, eh, to be honest. Eh? Mm. I thought he like, served his purpose. And I, I, just, I wasn't as big, as, a, as big a fan of him as what everybody else seems to be. Eh? Aye. Well, that's it. It's maybe because he gets to do more in the later films. Like He's kind of just the teacher in this one. He's not having to uh, throw down against any fucking um, stormtroopers like much of that. I think the biggest impression was wasn't uh, episode two, whereas like we CGI oh, no, Yoda, ah, he gets a big oh, fucking action has... sequence. Ah, uh, and yes, that's that CGI Yoda you were saying. So. Yeah, I think I was a a massive Yoda fan, like, but cause I mean, I'm pretty sure he was a character in in a Soul Calibur game, and I was just like, oh, oh. yeah. Aye, you had Vader. And in fact, he had a, aye, had a lightsaber and, and in fact, they incorporated that into a storyline in the game. <laughs> I was like, that's a fucking story. It's like so calibre, it's so Star Wars and that. But... You know, there's one character that I can never understand, like, the world's fascination with, was uh, Boba Fett. Ah, see, I, I fucking, I love it. I'm pretty sure... If you go back, if you go back and listen to the Return of the Jedi, I'm like, I was big on Boba Fett, and I think the fact that he was killed off unceremoniously, just like a fucking, like a bitch, basically, just <laughs> that hurt eh? Aye. Because you were kind of wanting, like, this big, massive, fucking, like, showdown, considering, like, he kind of helped in getting, like, Han Solo imprisoned and all that. Mm-hmm. And you were kind of waiting, because obviously... He was like a, like a bounty hunter because I'm assuming he kind of worked for the same line as like Greedo and all that. Yeah. Aye, well. But nah, I was a fucking, I was a Boba Fett fan, like. Aye, because that's, I always remember hearing about people's fascination with the character and, and all like the kind of the merch. You've seen people with the t shirts and like they loved them. And then when I properly watched Star Wars, like kind of like, right, let's see what everyone else is on a bit with Boba Fett. It was like, ah, oh, he was. Like in it for five minutes on this one, and he's in it for five minutes on that one, and they kill him. 
I just couldn't mm. get. I reckon if it's just because it is a fucking space bounty hunter, or if there was any, because I know you get your animated Star Wars series, like was it like Star Wars Rebels, and I think they fleshed out more people's backstories in like, the animated films. And actually, I do think there is some sort of origin story kind of pushed into uh, Attack of the Clones. As I know, like, mm. the... Or maybe the third one. It's like the fucking father gets killed and it's Boba Fett kind of takes the throne and he's just like a kid or a teenager. And then obviously by the time... Oh, he, what's the fucking... Django oh, the, Fett. Aye, it's like, aye, like Django Fett. Aye, aye, something... Someone I do remember. I can't remember what. Aye, so they kind of try and throw you more canon in episodes like uh, two or three, but I, I just couldn't figure it. It's like, aye, that's he's definitely a cool-looking character, and sure, he definitely gets uh, fucking taken out uh, surprisingly quick. But that's when. I seen that Disney Plus were producing like the the Mandalorian. I thought, oh right, now they're giving him his own show. And he said, no, it's just a guy that dresses like him. Like they're from the same uh, sort of guild. I still know. I still know what. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really need to watch it as well, but I'm just never playing over into. Uh... Uh, I did see that uh, news today that they added uh, Sam Hargrave to uh, direct action sequences. For the show, and that was the director of uh, Extraction, and obviously the the stunt coordinator for all the Marvel movies. Ah, oh, right. So I reckon they must be adding some uh, bigger action sequences. Know, uh, what's his name? In the Mandalorian, Carl Weathers. Yeah, ah, uh, he's kind of one of the like the contacts that uh, Mando goes and sees. He's kind of like mm. your. Your uh, TV equivalent of Billy D. Williams, Big Carol. Uh, but I, I quite enjoyed that. I'm probably, I think you're getting a second season this year, so that's not too bad. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, speaking of Billy D. Williams, what do you think uh, of his character, Lando? I like Lando. Yeah. I like Lando. Well, uh, I was saying like when I watched it, like. Last month, and I completely forgot about the whole double cross. Aye. Um, and I was like, and so, as soon as as soon as it happened, they kind of like, like resented, well, no, 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 resented, but they kind of like regretted. I regretted doing it. Aye, because you know, then he obviously went to go and like help them. Yes, exactly. And it's always one of those things I forget that happens, but um, I reckon I always fucking uh, enjoy the scene where C three PO gets led down. Like a secret passageway, only to get fucking killed off. Like how uh, they're all falling, uh, Lando, and a wee secret passage opens, and he hears like a sound that attracts him. And he's like, oh, no, don't shoot. And they just fucking end him. It's like, holy shit. Like something sinister is going on here. And and uh, then, of course, fucking Darth Vader's there for dinner. So, of course, they're all. And you get the next scene where fucking, for some reason, Chewie's down in the boiler room. And you've got these wee dwarf people fucking throwing around the scrap metal carcass of C-3PO trying to chuck it in the furnace. And Chewie's going mental trying to save the remains of his dead friend. Uh, it's like, this is dark. And he eventually just fashions him into a backpack for the rest of the film. 
Uh, but I mean, I think the like the encasing the fucking solo into the uh, carbonite was quite well done. Aye, it is. That's one of the like, one of the great scenes of the film because it's like they're defeated. There's nothing they can do. Luke's not there yet to help them. They're they're all arrested and like hands being put into this piece of like experimental technology. And I said, right, we're going to carbon uh-huh. freeze them. And like, ah, I've not really tried that on people. <laughs> like, you might not live. And that's where like Lando is really kind of regretting his his decision to kind of side with Vader at that point. But ah, it's always like been one of those fucking real famous. Uh, pieces of pop culture as well, like the hand frozen and carbonite. Like you've seen mm-hmm. it. Um, uh, normally it's like a fridge magnet or something. Aye. And the new Lego Star Wars game, the one that kind of covers all nine episodes, they've got a steelbook and it's it's like for the Switch. Uh, the steelbook Switch case is the Lego figure frozen in carbonite. Alright. Because I guess it kind of has the general shape for the case. But, um, and I I reckon what it was if it was a film or maybe an episode of Cribs and someone had um, the Han Solo frozen as a fucking desk. I wouldn't be surprised if George Lucas had that like as a desk in his office with glass over it and probably horrendous amounts of cocaine. <laughs> Doing lines off a of Han Solo. And a fucking like mangled body, fucking Yoda and a stormtrooper. <laughs> well, that was it. Remember, there's always a story that they were wanting to use the the the. It's not he's not a prosthetic, but the actual puppet for Yoda. But supposedly, I think he was you. Wasn't there Yoda in the episode one? Ah, anyway, I can't even I remember. Can't remember. But like I fucking I hate episode one. I'm trying to even remember if it was in it because like, might know. Like, you really fucking, cause, like the most thing you can get to remember episode one was fucking Jar Jar, Jar Jar Banks and probably the pod racing. Oh yeah, aye. But I just remember them saying that they they had kept the puppet they'd used for Yoda, and then when they came to use it for the the new movies, he had been kind of um, they had done things to him. I reckon it was in the case <laughs> of just made it look like he was. Um, I reckon, but they ruined them, let's say, to the point where they probably couldn't use them for uh, another film. I was like, what the fuck did they do to that <laughs> puppet? Because I still laugh at that South Park episode. No, no not the one yeah. with George Lucas. Wait. Yeah, aye. Oh. George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, and all Destroying that. Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. On the pinball machine. Yeah, uh, the... The, uh, they take a bit of deliverance as well and all that. Yes, aye. And then also when the SWAT team stormed the fucking mansion, there's like a, a mangled fucking Yoda and the uh, Stormtrooper <laughs> in the basement with them. Oh, I forgot about that bit. Is that where it's kind of like uh, Pulp Fiction? Oh, that, nah, I can't mind. Aye, nah. I, think I think the main, the main episode was to do with... It's Cartman and Butters fucking take uh, one of the Chinese buffy pussies hostage. Aye. And yeah. then Kyle has this other thing where like, he's got these, like, he's having these nightmares and all that. 
mm-hmm. about like George Lucas abusing Indiana Jones and all that. So then you go to a lawyer and stuff like that, and you get all these wee snippets throughout the episode and all that. Ah, right. Man, I've not watched the episode of South Park in <laughs> fucking years. <sighs> but, um, you got any? Any dislikes in this movie at all? Is there any part of the film that turns you off? Nah, I, I don't think there's anything any negative to say about this one. Eh? I mm-hmm. mean, it's as like the, the the best one to listen. I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's anything I would change. And because I mean, like, I also we're kind of going to be talking about the the end. Of, you know, I would have like. I would have loved to be like one of the folk like, in the cinema on like opening weekend just to kind of experience like that twist without kidding about it. Oh yeah, that I am your father. Aye, uh, and that's it. It's uh, there was a that Simpsons fucking gag where Homer's aye, coming out Homer of this, the fucking out. cinema aye, saying yeah. he's his dad. Like I'm paraphrasing, but just fucking spoils the ending and everyone in the line is going absolute fucking nuts at him. Ah, uh, uh, it is, and I think by the time we got around to watching Star Wars, I I feel like you generally kind of know now when you're going in that Darth Vader's the father, unless you were just told nothing about Star Wars as a kid. But I feel like it's kind of uh, like knowing I'm, now. I'm trying because I still remember going to. I remember going to the cinema Kakodi to go and see Star Wars when it when they re-released it on the twentieth anniversary. I remember they, re- like they re-released it and it was all like remastered and mm-hmm. all that. Um, and I remember watching it and I think I was like, I remember, like, I'm pretty sure I think when I fucking was watching them when I was a kid, I'm pretty sure I, I thought Empire was like, like the mere boring one because there wasn't as much gone on it. And I think when I watched it, I kind of would watch like episode four and episode six a lot more than what I would episode five. Aye, because that's it. It's, it's the starts mm. and conclusions to it, really. So, like, Return uh, of the Jedi has like the more I guess satisfying end, and where there's a lot more shit going yeah. down, and there's a lot more dramatic. But this is kind of the point where you have, everyone has to get fucking battered more or less for them to have mm. such a triumphant return in the next film. But the the lightsaber uh, fight between Luke and Vader, where that fucking twist is revealed, I always love it when, um, I think Luke jumps past him and he manages to skiff Vader with his lightsaber, like catching him on the arm, and Vader just lets it this fucking roar in pain, and like I, I recognise that roar of pain. That's the same fucking sound like when a parent stands on like a Duplo brick. It's fucking sair. <laughs> <laughs> I always do like a dying Darth Vader impression when I creep from my kids' room. At least it's not as fucking horrifying as the um the noise that they have like Vader make when fucking on episode three when he uh, when he becomes Vader and he oh, finds it. I step on a bit of leg and go no. As I fall to the floor screaming, but yeah. I always love like. The the fact that they went so ballsy to fucking chop Luke's hand off. Like, it's just... Like, with the lightsaber just like... Vroom, and it's fucking gone. And he screams. And he's just mm. like, holy shit, the boy lost a hand. 
And to uh, the point where I wish they didn't have that scene, that second scene, where it's like, oh, we've attached me with a little robot Timmy to her hand, and everything's well. Uh, it's like, oh, it's just... I almost forgot, oh, forgot they'd done that as well. Eh? Uh, it's like, it's a, almost like a tiny cop-out, just have them with one hand. Because they only go and fucking like, shop it off again in the next film. Because, like, well, they're not going to die anyway because they were blown that. They were blown that a bit up, eh? Really, was because he fell. Aye. There was. Uh, there was something Lando close. and fucking. Lando and Chewie went back for a. Aye, Carrie. Uh, Leah hears, the, like, the fucking voice. And obviously, uh. that must have been. Um, the sequence because obviously fucking Alec uh, Guinness shows up again in this one and he's <laughs> like starts he's just this fucking uh, force ghost so he's here with some new dialogue fucking talking about like trying to encourage Luke with his training but when it's him and fucking Yoda watching Luke leave and say oh, this is our only hope and fucking Yoda's like no he's not the only one and uh, just obviously with Carrie fucking picking up the signal, the wee message, it's like, all right, she's got the powers. There's more. I reckon if that was what they were really going for, just to kind of highlight that, obviously Princess Leia is also a a Jedi and she doesn't know it. But obviously in these later films, like fucking episodes seven to nine, it's fucking not ram down your throats, but it's well established that. She is also Jedi and could go for a uh, fly about in space and do the Mary Poppins thing and aye. But uh, were you happy with the ending? Aye, like like I said, because it's a like a, a cliffhanger and because it's a to be continued and that like aye. You could imagine, like you could imagine the fucking like the disdain of being like a diehard. Star Wars fan in like the nineteen eighties when fucking when you just seen that film and the fact that you have to wait yeah three years before and eventually get the fucking conclusion. The final chapter and all that. Yeah. It's yeah. kinda of like almost as bad as like when you watch fucking like Breaking Bad and you have to wait like another year for the next season. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna start breaking these seasons in half. Aye. <sighs> but no, I was quite satisfied with this ending as well and yeah actually from the looks of it I think I've went over all my major notes because I, I Lando redeems himself comes back saves him and uh. it was it was so good to kind of see him come back for episode 9 as well ah uh, it was pretty good in that as well mm -hmm. and it was it almost felt like he was kind of filling the seat for a hand solo but it was cool to kind of see him pilot the the Millennium Falcon one more time. Yeah. And even the the inclusion, I know it's a total sidebar here, but uh, Solo. Like, they kind of got oh, to really... Ah, they got to flesh uh, Lando out in that as well. Now, to be honest, didn't he... Fuck, I've only seen it once, but I can't remember if Lando had just sort of like two scenes... Where it was both card games where he kind of won and lost the Falcon. Aye, aye, won and lost, aye. Aye. But, that was one of those films where it was like, yeah, it was really good, but it's just, it was almost like the world wasn't ready for it yet. No one could accept a new Han Solo and this guy isn't going to bring it 
and when you watch it, it's like it's to me generally it's a decent film. I thought it was alright. Like, well, like obviously when I got fucking Disney Plus, like when I decided to watch it. Eh? Yeah. And I didn't mind it. Like, I thought it was quite decent. I thought fucking Woody Harrelson was pretty good. In yeah. That. Uh, I reckon if it's maybe because they threw in. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, aye. Where just like man, she's almost like too big for kinda this like film. Fucking, kind of like almost Genesis. Like chucked her in. I'm gonna chuck her in Terminator. Aye, uh, like, oh, we've like, got this uh, red hot property. Let's use her. Let's put her in Terminator. Let's put her in Star Wars. And Nibdi could kind of like disassociate her from what, like, oh, it's a lassie for Game of Thrones. And that's all she'll ever be, even how she's fucking trying to be Sarah Connor in this film. You do not, for a minute, yeah. fucking look at her and think Sarah Connor. It's just the person's too big. It's just to the point where it's like, she's, spoiler, it's like when you put fucking Daniel Radcliffe in other roles. It's always Harry Potter. <laughs> so, so I, it was definitely a great film, but it's just maybe the casting is just a wee bit ah, I reckon like, was it like Hollywood studio casting was it the fucking studio that decided we need Amelia Clark? well that's the star power to bring the audiences in because they kind of went with an unknown for Solo uh, like, and that yeah. was like probably the ballsiest thing but it's also like please no, don't hand another franchise to Chris Pratt uh, but the thing is like fucking like that boy had to get like with all like like acting, like coaching, like during during filming and that because oh. he wasn't wasn't doing a job properly and stuff. Like Jesus, that. and that that's the fucking shame as well. I mean, and it was also they fucking switched directors like through the production. You had what was it? it was it was a directing duo. The guys that done God, I think it was like the Spider Verse film. Was it like Chris Lloyd? No, uh, Chris Lord. And someone else that's... I'm positive it was a team behind Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and, like, the Lego movie and... <laughs> like, they were this good duo and then they, the studio just gave it to uh, Ron Howard. Uh, Ron Howard. Aye. And they went back and fucking reshot loads of it and, like, man, this is a, the thing where cunts are going to start petitioning Shit. for the fucking Lord cut. Of Solo next. Ah, uh, because I see fucking that uh, David Ayer keeps on fucking sharing, like, behind the scenes yeah. photos of, like, the... He's, he's like, promising the, oh, that there's... Con, it's Connor the Ayer cut of fucking Suicide Squad. Yeah, he's he's convinced that, that there's he, his copy of the film is, like, 90% done. And I reckon if he's just looking for the money or the studios to give him the go-ahead, but there's, yeah. like, a darker Suicide Squad... And yeah, and as one of these things, well, the fact that HBO's now opened the doors for fucking Snyder cut, now you're getting every cut. Yeah, and like people are like wanting the 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 real JJ Abrams cut, of fucking rises to Skywalker. Oh Jesus! Ah yes. It, 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 like where does it end? It's like what's too much? Okay, right. Aye. Yeah, sure. Does the film have to be kind of? mixed to bad reactions in the first place for us to deem right okay this must be the studio's fault look at the director and look for his true vision and of yeah. course that it was i guess in the case for justice league 
the fact that Snyder had to leave production and the studio just thought, well, who could we get to fix this? Alright, let's get the guy that done the fucking two Avengers movies and let's try and capture that magic. But Yeah. Anyway, fuck all to do with Star Wars. I never, I never actually looked at any trivia. Nah, it's fine. Uh, we, we could just make up trivia. Like all the uh-huh. uh, the snow for Hoff was just the the, the excess cocaine from Carrie Fisher's trailer. <laughs> Why does it have to be Carrie Fisher's trailer? If anybody's doing fucking coke, it's fucking... Um, what's in the boys dress up like fucking Chewbacca? <laughs> Peter Mayhew. Uh, uh, that's it, uh. like it's, it's like just some cunt that's covered in flour and they're patting themselves doing there's just clouds of it. <laughs> it's going for fuck's uh, sake, this costume's rigging. <laughs> I guess like the Yeti that I thought to look at the start it was actually Chewbacca because he's covered <laughs> just in coke. Rolling the boot in a hill of coke. Aye. Uh. No wonder if I can <laughs> I could just have images of fucking Carrie going up just going <laughs> Just big <laughs> inhales <laughs> on Chewy. <laughs> Just doing lines for his fur. Uh, yep. I'm sure there was fucking copious amounts of drugs in those movies anyway. Uh, but uh, so right, that's your your bit of fake trivia. And or is it really fake? We'll let you decide. But now uh, we're going to take a short break and come back for our next review. Brian De Palma's Dress to Kill. Welcome back. Uh, second part of our episode today, we are covering Brian De Palma's uh, Dress to Kill. So, uh, the film is written and directed by Brian De Palma. His IMDb Top four consists of number one is Dress to Kill, number two is The Untouchables. Obviously, that's could that be like maybe his biggest one is more well because um, the, the other two aren't huge to me like uh, Body Double, which kind of looks the same vein and maybe this, and then another one uh, called uh, Femme Fatale, but. I mean, uh, this guy's is that also... what IMDb have has as his top four? Yeah, because I'm right in and saying... they brought he... that over, like, Scarface... Exactly, yeah. Carrie. Carly was away, Carrie. Yeah. Uh, oh, what else did he do? Was there no Brian De Palma from my watch last week? I'm sure I'll text you about Hmm. Um, I can't mind. Oh. But that's it, he has done a bunch but IMDB like just have a weird way of choosing the top fours that like I'm not sure how they, they pull that information whether if it's the most votes or the fact knows I've never figured out the algorithm on what decides their top four. Uh so but the film stars Michael Caine as Doctor Robert Elliott, Angie Dickinson as Kate Miller Nancy Allen as Liz Blake, Keith Gordon as Peter Miller, and Dennis Franz as Detective Marino. Mike, what is the plot to 
dressed to kill. Um, so Michael Caine plays a psychiatrist, and after one of his patients is uh, murdered, him he teams up with a call girl trying to solve the murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Mike, uh, was this your first time seeing Dressed to Kill? I was. I first time watched this one. Yeah. Did you have you ever heard of this film before? I am. Um, I only started like like kind of paying attention to it when we reviewed Blowout. I think the year mm. before last. Yeah. And it was a film that always kind of stuck with me. I always tried to. See if I can get a hold of it. Aye, because that's it. Brian De Palma was always a name I'd have heard, like when showing an interest in films. But I was never one I'd ever came across other than when you hit the big ones, uh, when you're growing up, like watching Scarface for the first time, or uh, I think much later it was Carlito's Way. But I was have never yeah. dug deep into like his back catalogue with like, obviously Carrie is a big one but I never paid attention to that at all until it was part of like the podcast when we compared the original carry with the the remake but mm-hmm. I never knew uh, of Brian De Palma as I think the trailer dubs him the master of the macabre and I'm trying to think at that point was he kind of like a not quite like a horror director but or is it just like a uh, kind of films with blood in them? Because that kind of gives mm-hmm. the impression where it's just like people being murdered and or violent deaths. So yeah, and Dress to Kill was kind of like I've heard of it, I've heard the name, but I know pretty sweet, like absolute fuck all about that film. It's the same vein with uh, there's another film that I've always heard of, but never got around to watching, is something called, is it Single White Female? Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. So I was kind of... Rang- uh, what's her name? Daisy Domergu, and uh, she plays a total psycho, isn't it? Ah, right. Yeah. Uh, so it's always seen like- it when I was younger. I've never I've not seen it like, in my like, last 10, 15 years, I think. But I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Nah, so I never really had any early memory, so this was like a... A first watch for myself as well so um let's just uh, plow through our notes like obviously the first thing you notice about this film is it's got that classic uh, de palma misdirect like how it's kind of like yeah it, it seems like it's gonna be one film like the first act of the film leaves you thinking it's surrounded uh surrounding like the lusty journey of a middle-aged woman uh, only to get like a, a shock twist about 20 minutes in it's almost like he's kind of built upon blowout you know how that kind of had a similar start where it just looked like a fucking terrible B movie porno mm. and fucking this one right, eh? I, I could see when there's people that quit movies like 10 minutes in and you're like no no you've you've missed what the actual film is like one cut of the dead is similar. Like first half hour of that movie is just a straight up. I know movie. that that film completely. I watched that like last month, and that completely took me by surprise. Like, yeah, it was like as built as a zombie film, and then when you realise when you get to the second half, then the, no, the real film unfolds. Aye. 
Aye. Aye, that's not what you actually think it is. So, it has a fair amount of, like, one-star reviews on Amazon, and people are just saying, man, turned off after 10 minutes. Absolute shit. And you're just like, no. (laughs) (laughs) So, but, Uh. God, um, if I was the husband of uh, Kate's character, like, after that first scene in the fucking, the shower room, I would be binning that bar of soap. <laughs> I guess like, like the opening's like because when I tried to watch it the other day, like it was a dubbed version, so mm-hmm. they never really got anything. But like, I was like, but the guy was excited. So who's the guy that's come out? It's like she means shield. <laughs> is this is this just a fucking total three way in the shower? Now? I know. I was, and then, and then like when I was watching it, like when, when I noticed the dubbing. It's like when it cuts to like her in the bed and all that, and it's like just really horrendous. Oh, aye, like, because it cuts right to her having sex with her husband. Uh, and yeah. I'm just like, I like it right, okay, so that's why I fucking text you. Yeah. I was just like, I was still scratching my head, like, what's happened? Like, like, is this just a dream or? Yeah, because in that dream sequence, well, she's she kind of having a wee bit fun in the shower. Or, Pretty much nothing is like we've seen everything apart from our arsehole at this point in the opening credits, and then yeah, there's like a killer in the shower, and it's I, like my original notes. I had to like write some notes and then write notes about my notes because we've been misled. I felt like we were we were reviewing like a fucking Channel Five Saturday Night Blue movie. Oh, it, no. Like confessions of a cougar or something. It was like, what are we watching? <laughs> like she's having dirty uh, dreams about her fucking playing around in the shower. Then she's having mediocre sex with her husband. Now she's trying to seduce Michael Caine, or well, her fucking psychiatrist. And then she's going to an art gallery, fucking chasing dick as well. Uh, and there's <laughs> just like kind of so much goes on and. Like, fair enough, this middle-aged woman's just trying to add in. It's like, what are we watching? And it's when she eventually has this, this random romp with a fucking stranger. It looked like John Saxton for Enter the Dragon. Or maybe he had dyed his hair and donned <laughs> a pair of sunglasses. Mm. She fucking chases him down to a taxi, only for him to fucking... <laughs> Have sex in the back of a cab, and the fucking cabbie can't keep his eyes on the road. And I was like, it reminds me of the um, the scene in um, Hot Shots Two with fucking Charlie Sheen in the back of the the limo with the driver, and he's got the fucking <laughs> he's got the oh, the, what do you call it, the fucking video camera and all that. All like, oh, oh. right, <laughs> and that's it. Just felt like we're watching like a dream sequence right out of a fucking Mills and Boone novel. And it's just the fucking part that made me laugh out loud was when she was getting ready to leave, putting on her Julie, decides to have a wee rake about the drawers, and there's like that doctor's letter about his venereal disease. Yeah. And it's like, oh, the first like, time what? she's decided to go do the dirty, cheat on somebody, and it's oh, brought STD. But it was a fucking, like, it was the art gallery scene, like, Completely fucking like amused me because like there was no there was no fucking like talking or anything like you yep. seen like the like her looking at the like the Asian couple with their kid and all that and mm-hmm. then 
the guy sitting next to her, and then it was just a game of fucking cat and mouse with a glove. It really was, aye. And I went, I went on for about fucking five minutes too long, like. Aye, because they're they're fucking hiding, and they're falling around, and they're hi- just it was, it was, and then no wonder it cut to him fucking diving downtown in the back of the cab with her. I was like, Jesus mm. Christ! I was waiting for her to wake up again. It was another one of her like slutty dreams. <laughs> but uh, then, obviously, for people that haven't seen Dress to Kill, this will be like a fucking spoiler-filled discussion. So I know it isn't really readily available. You can buy that uh, um Blu-ray if you want, or rent it off of Amazon. Uh, of course, do all that via filmsandswearing.com and our Amazon link. But, yeah, anything after here is now kind of big spoiler territory. Yeah. Well, um, what I did quite like about it was, like, you got all the familiar faces from, like, say, the Palmer films and all. Like, you had uh, Nancy Allen, who's been in fucking everything that he's done, because I'm pretty sure when we done, like, the the trivia for um, Bullet, was she, you know, like, married to the Palmer at the time and all that? Ah, possible. That might explain a few things. Yeah, because she was in this, I think she I think she was in Body Double, I'm not sure, I've not seen it, but I think she's credited in that, but I could right. be completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got, obviously, the fucking Kate's son, he plays Arnie and Christine. Ah, right. That's I was like, I fucking reckon. Aye, I was so looking at him going like, like... I seen it, I was like, I recognise that wee cunt, and then like, went and looked, and it was him. How did I not fucking see that? Because I, I did, uh, I looked as well, and I just came across like all of his directing credits, because obviously he's he's went on to direct uh, like series of Fargo and things like that. I can't believe yeah. I never noticed Christine. I was looking at him, and I just kept mm. thinking, ah, maybe you're just thinking he's like a young Kyle MacLachlan. The wee cunts away to fly yeah. off to June soon and fucking fight about the spice, but because <sighs> <laughs> I was like, he looks familiar, and I was like, is it like kind of just looks like a an Aaron Taylor Johnson like kick ass era, but with dark hair, but yeah, aye, and and then the other person that I noticed as well, apart from apart from the Dennis Franz mm-hmm. was fucking um the person that played the killer's other psychiatrist he yes. was he was the mayor in mm-hmm. Ghostbusters right he, he he's kind of one of those folk where it's like ah he could either play a politician a mayor or someone he, he had that look about him so yeah. I I could I could see him I could picture him now in Ghostbusters yeah but um so what did you think of the the murders, uh, the murder sequence, the scene where she goes back oh, into and the elevator and after. The yeah, after she's done Realizing the dirty. She's left the ring. Yeah. And she's left the ring. Um, I thought it was alright because I'm, I'm assuming that the killer was the one that picked up the glove outside the art gallery. Yes. Remember when she was, she got shot and like, she seen the guy in the, in the car holding her glove. And she th- dropped that one in the ground. You seen you seen somebody picking it up. Someone picking it up. I'm assuming. Aye. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I like the use of the switchblade and mm-hmm. all that. 
Like, and then obviously fucking there's a Nancy Allen where they fucking blow an old guy <laughs> and then they lift him and he's fucking away. He's like, nope, I'm out to you. Yeah, aye. And that's it. Like, I feel this film parallels um, Psycho a few times where like just this kind of, at first, like that sudden death, like the woman being fucking hacked and slit to fucking cut to ribbons with this razor blade. But it's just the image of Angie Dickinson's character, Kate, like where it gets to the floor and the the lift door isn't closing because it's just sitting jamming on like her, her lifeless arm, hanging out, yeah. like covered in blood. And of course, as you said, Nancy Allen there, she's just lost, lost business. She just picked up a fucking razor blade. And scared the I fucking know, she blade by the black housekeeper. Yeah. She was like, oh, hell no. I'm fucking out of here. And you're just thinking, oh, great. It's like, I was thinking it was going to be, like, she was going to do this, having to clear her name. But you give the impression that the cops know damn well it wasn't her. But. Yeah. It was one of these things where it's clever. Like, in a sense, like, I, w- I reckon if you had a look at the, trailer that was on the DVD but nah, never. when I was finished I was like I just want to see what how, how they sell it and I put it on and the whole trailer is all Angie Dickinson <laughs> so you don't know a thing and that was it she was in like so much a variety of locations like she had scenes with Michael Caine she was in the art gallery she was at home she was like um, the, the shower scene there's just all these different scenarios like crammed into like the te- first 10 15 minutes yeah. where you can cut a convincing trailer to think ah oh, that's probably 90 minutes of like her going to different places but it's just that they fucking fucking switch the record halfway not even halfway through but at the end of the first act it's like nope here's your main characters the fucking <sighs> the now orphan son and uh, the fucking call girl that Witness the murder. I'll need to have a look at it because I remember the the trailer for Blowout pretty much reveals the fucking like oh, who the I remember that person yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember like and as well like like the heavily the heavily like fucking cast um with the heavily plugged that John Lithgow was in it. Aye, and, and it's like kind of they Aye, left that, that quiet. <laughs> Can like fucking also like you hear you hear like me all the time saying about how much I fucking hate trailers and all that. Exactly, if they give too and much like, away. Well, I've, I've only watched the teaser for ten. I'm not watching anything else. I want to go to that as blind as possibly fucking mm-hmm. possible. But I will need to check out the uh, trailer on the DVD. Like, yeah. like the DVD's got a really like risky front cover as well. Like, <laughs> it's like a screenshot of a steamy shower. shower. Aye, with a fucking, yeah. like, the big old 18 on it. Like, <sighs> aye, this is a relic of the past. Um, obviously, kind of come across Nancy Allen's character, Liz. She kind of appeared to be, like, quite reserved or, I guess, maybe respectful prostitute in comparison mm. to, like, your stereotype. Like, she's aye, doing, like, she fishnet like, and like leopard skin. Stocks and all that. Aye. When I was scrolling through IMDb, kind of like post-dressed to kill, I feel 
outside of like the Robocop franchise, she never really went on to much after that. Nah. Like her top four literally is Dress to Kill, then Robocop one, two, and three. <laughs> I reckon how carry wouldn't be in that top four because that's like one of the most like widely like revered fucking films, eh? Exactly. And I reckon why maybe Nancy Allen never doesn't get that um career longevity that you we got with the likes of like Linda Hamilton and or Carrie Fisher. Obviously Carrie Fisher's kinda like top tier. She kinda transcended yeah. all the genres. But Linda Hamilton oh, so you you think if they if when they did when they done the reboot of Robocop having her come back as fucking like Lewis and all that. Even if she would just like kind of like the police chief. Like, mm. ah, she's a wee bit older, but... Oh, instead of fucking, instead of the, the black guy, because he was pretty good. Yeah, well, that's it. It's futuristic, and that, I'd say that film's probably about 10 years old now, but um, you'd imagine it just kind of like, well, we've grown as culture, of course a woman could be in charge of the police. And when folk yeah. realise who it is, they're like, holy shit, it's the prosy from Dress to Kill! <laughs> And ah, I, I, she plays an interesting character, and she does actually come across as quite likable. It's yeah. just all the her clients, like where she finds that. Um, God, I'm trying to think. Is it this, is it two jobs that she fucking messes up? Well, there's one where she tries to find like a guy for Cleveland, and he's that fucking scared. Or, no, you were surprised at how nice she was looking. When she's in the cab being chased and all that. Yeah. Ah, that's it. Even rather than paying the fare, she was going to have dinner with the cabbie. And it's like, oh boy. But. (sighs) And through, like, the introduction of Liz, obviously, we then get introduced to, like, Detective Marino. Obviously, as we've said, played by the great Dennis Franz. And this is, like, Yeah, this is before. Ten years. Before he done these to Die Hard like 10 Aye, years prior like, to Die Hard 2 this was like 2 years before he played the fucking sleazy motel owner in Cycle 2 oh fuck how did I forget about that oh he was the one that was always fucking like yeah. in digs at uh, Aye, one of the first Perkins ones to end up that. in the boot of the car Aye. yeah fuck he is like he is just kind of like this national treasure from the, like the 80s and nineties, yeah. Like when he shows up, it's like, oh. yeah, I'm pretty sure like the first thing I ever seen him in was Die Hard too. Exactly, and, and I that's always like that's probably the only thing I ever seen him in after it. Yeah, because was he known that Law and Order as well? Exactly, I think that. that's what he's well known for, like across in the states. I think he's done seasons and seasons yeah. and seasons of like Law and Order or NYPD Blues or one of those cop shows. Like he is. Probably like a household. See, name. he was in fucking. He was in blue as well, and I'm trying to remember who the fuck he was. Well, that's it. There is a lot. I of seen people. he was. I seen he was credited in blue. I'm trying to think what character he was. Aye. Like, is he stereotyped to be a detective or a scumbag, or I scumbag detective? Try to think if maybe he was one of the ones that was killed, like during the setup. And mm, I, it's maybe. a film that I really need to get a hoodie on fucking Blu-ray and rewatch yeah, it. Yeah, aye. Or even for it to come back on like uh, Netflix or that. Exactly. That was one of those surprisingly good ones. Um, yeah. 
But ah, uh, he was kind of good, and he he looks like dead young in this compared to like ten years later. Like he's kind of a little bit slimmer. He's got more head of hair, but he, you could just hear like the voice, and he's he's got the tash already. And uh, is he not like donning like a gold chain as well in this one? <laughs> he's got like a little broom leather jacket. Exactly, <laughs> and you're just thinking, like, ah, he he wants this kind of find out who done it. But it's one of these films where, God, I reckon if you should talk about like the big twist right now, because it's, I reckon if it's like it's a subject, if they'd done it nowadays, they'd have to be careful how they would do it without affecting kind of like your trans audience. Yeah. Because uh... that's it. These, ah, we'll talk about it when we get to Michael Caine, but. Uh, in amongst all those new characters you kind of get introduced to, obviously there's um, Kate's son. What was that? Peter. Hi. Hi, Peter. Hi. Yeah, who who's like a kind of like a kid genius. Ah, uh, because like, you see him, he does all the weird, like when he goes to like the house and he's like timing them, like coming for the door at the gate. Aye, it's like he was building like, a fucking supercomputer in his house. He had a listening device in the police station. Like it's a he's a smart kid. So it's kinda I mean, like this nice I mean, uh, mismatched all, couple. I mean like like um, like all kids for the eighties kinda be like Cody Feldman and fucking uh, Friday Friday's part four. Eh? <laughs> Aye. Just sitting about with his fucking horror masks on. I watched another fucking naked bird across the road. <laughs> no, that's it. Maybe the fucking city, there, there's not as many um, free range titties on display. <laughs> Although, saying <laughs> it, fucking show him this film. Or maybe not, that's his mum. Uh, He'd be sharing the same bar of soap as her. <laughs> oh wait, that, that that was dream uh, soap. It's fine. Uh, it's fine. It's dream soap. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I did like that kind of combination with Nancy, who's kind of like your street smart hooker, and then you've got uh, Peter, who's book smart, and together, like the the whole plan of just like him parking his bike, and it's got the hidden camera in it. And it's just sitting, filming all the people coming in and out. And you're just thinking, like, they're going to figure this out. Because the only character that we've never really touched on yet is Dr. Elliot. Fucking Michael Caine. Yeah. And he's almost kind of like sparingly used in this. Yeah. I didn't even, like, fucking notice he was in it until, like... I went looking for it the other day and then I seen him like come up and I was like, fucking hell, is he in this? He's the top billed name of this. Like, that's the first name on the fucking poster. Um, yeah. So, and I feel like you only see him, like, maybe there's two scenes as him, as like a psychiatrist. Like, his first meeting with um, Kathy, no, Kate, and yeah, where she, she attempts to seduce him. And he just talks about how he's happily married. And there's there's like a nice wee um, touch to these scenes. Because he has a similar scene where uh, Liz goes in and she attempts to seduce him. And both times where the kind of woman attempts to seduce him, he looks at himself in the mirror. 
and it kind of puts him back in the room where he's kind of like, I reckon, where maybe he looks in the mirror and he gets like a blink of his conscience. That's what your thought, like, that's the impression you're given in the first half of the film. Where it's like, oh my god, this woman's flaunting, like, flirting with me. And you just have a wee look and say, right, okay, no, uh, let's be professional here. I'm a doctor, I'm married. No, we can't have a <laughs> fling in my office. And it's after the fucking murder of Kate. And he gets the the phone, the, the message. The phone call, yeah. And that is a great misdirect as well. Because the big twist is fucking Dr. Elliot is the fucking razor blade fucking wielding psychopath killer. Yeah. And they're going under like a psycho split personality sort of thing. Eh? Yes. And like it's they keep it very well like they always hide the identity of the killer. Like it's just tall, dressed in black, blonde wig. Yeah, sunglasses. Exactly. And to me it was like you could almost guess the killer's identity straight away just by the build. I felt in anyway. it. Like, ah, fuck it. I didn't get the ending completely. That twist completely caught me by surprise, and I was kind of like disappointed myself that I never clicked on it soon enough. Right. Oh, I, I, I thought that's... it was just. I, I thought it was just going to be just one of his old patients as a guy who's trying to be a woman and all that. Yeah. And it wasn't until literally, the, like literally the last second, I was like, "Wait a minute." Aye. I was like, this is what it is. I was like, how did I, how did I see this fucking coming? So I was quite disappointed in myself the fact that I never caught on it. <laughs> it made sense straight away, obviously, when they 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 say I was dressed like a woman, but like built like a man. It just looks like this towering blonde uh, in this jet black trench coat. But it is a really good misdirect when. There's the fucking uh, voicemail left on Dr. Elliot's phone. Because the voice, that, yeah. that's not Michael Caine. Yeah. And it's, they're just talking about like the fucking razor blade. I've borrowed this, blah, blah, blah. And you're just thinking, what kind of fucking psychiatrist doctor has a fucking, like, does he shave at work? What's going on? Is this a common practice for fucking American doctors in the 80s? Like, yeah. yeah, don't leave a razor blade in your office, Doc. But I guess for the sake of the story. And you just think, how how did a patient get access to it? But when it kind of goes full circle and you realise it's him. And the boy is suffering from a split personality. And which they kind of deemed to be, he was also a cross-dressing didocrat. Now, was it transsexual or transvestite? I'm sure it was. Yeah, because that was it. It was when they had the the other psychiatrist, the, the mayor for Ghostbusters. He was like there to do the knowledge bomb. He was like, "I'll explain this to the audience," and I was like, "Oh, nowadays if a trans person watched that, they would probably be annoyed." Ah. Uh, so, but I think if it's just like in the sense of the eighties, and it's like it's kind of like a mystery. Like the probably only example before that would be Rocky Horror Picture Show. And it's Tim yeah. Curry cutting about in a pair of tights. <laughs> the thing is like obviously like leading up to all that, like when it's a bit where 
Like, that's a, a trick they would do in Scream. If the lights went out for five seconds and come back on, the killer would be there. They would be there just to, like, effects like that, just to scare the fucking shit out of you. But this one, that yeah. it's kind of just done slowly, where it's just to build on the suspense and the tension, and you're just kind of like, happen already, happen just I can't eat. I'm falling off the edge of the seat here, just let me know what fucking happens. Yeah. But you're right, that subway scene is a brilliant fucking yeah. tension builder. And then and then when obviously the fucking killer gets a hold of that, mm-hmm. you're thinking that's, that's going to be it, and then all of a sudden fucking Peter shows up with fucking mates. Aye, fucking homemade. And uh, yeah, and then he's like, "Oh, I've been following you and that." So like, it's like he fucking put it in his place. Yeah, and I thought, like, oh, "You smart wee bastard." Exactly, and it, it's strangely wholesome in a way. I, I, my crude uh, assumption is like, "Well, she is a prosy. I'm surprised she didn't fling him a bone." <laughs> I know. Oh, I you saved my life. Like, mm-hmm. and it's like, "Oh, like, we're getting to stay." Him to try his luck. Exactly. Know? And like I've I saved your life. I'm I'm letting you stay at my mom's house because she's dead. Um, how about it? But it, <sighs> it my stepdad hints about my pal, but you're my pal, really. Exactly. Aye. Then he uses soap in the shower. We'll just leave that. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Ignore all the razor blades as well. I don't know what she gets up to. <laughs> And it was like one of these things where like, that's the day actually seemed that there's there's no real sense of mourning that his mum's died, but I think it it was just there to fucking misdirect you. I feel. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool with Peter as well. The fact that like when he was outside the the room in the police station, where he like tapped into the fucking yeah. Like, the office, and he could hear everything. I was like, ah, fucking. He is a smart kid. Was clever, like. Uh, I like that because that was it. It gave you these elements and it made them like the perfect team to put together because he can just walk in the psychiatrist's office and try and talk up a yeah. game to find out these things. But fucking, there you go. Send in Liz to work her magic. And yeah. God fucking hell. Like, she doesn't half um, try and seduce okay. Dr. Elliot. And some of the. Yeah. the choice uh, dialogue is just mm. like whew, fucking hell <clears throat> like where Michael Caine in the early 80s is fucking like greasy and fucking yes, serious I, fuck he's, yeah. a, he's a slimy bugger but it is when Nancy Allen attempts to seduce him like I've seen that screenshot where she's like sprawled across his desk and I actually thought it was like something like a screen cap for like a strip club. So I was actually surprised to see it was like the doctor's office. Yeah. But when she was kind of all grieving and then she's flirting and then she's like, I'm just going to go take my coat off and then realise that there's no trousers. She's already in the wee <sighs> suspenders and there's all this fucking boob hanging out. And she's like, do you like me? And it's like, well, that's not really to mind. It's like, well... That bulge in your trousers says another thing, and it's like, oh <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> like it was just and Michael Caine showing her the Italian job. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. He didn't really want to show off his Harry Brown night too quick, did he? Uh... <laughs> but oh, it was. It was like, right, I need a minute to to kind of like let him change his clothes and there was like 
trying to find what was it they cried the the suspected killer Bobby aye Bobby uh, aye yeah and then you're just thinking I feel at that point that was it at that point you maybe twigged that it could have been Michael Caine like aye. prior to him putting yeah. the gear on but just the thought of I'll let yeah. you change and <laughs> you just all of a sudden seen the fucking coat the wig and it is good because she comes out yeah, and he's not there and he's like he's behind you it was a fucking great moment because Peter's already compromised outside and you're thinking the killer's outside I thinking it's a killer outside there aye aye and then when the killer's inside and you're like it's a team no and you're just your mind's wrecked trying to think okay because you, you want to you want to figure it out before they fucking tell it to you that's how I watch films yeah. there's always part of me that's working overtime to try and guess the plot and mm. they fucking do it brilliantly where they say oh they're the cops were in it as well. They were just using Liz and Peter as bait. Dennis fucking sitting yeah. a few cars back, watching it all unfold, playing with his gold chain. Because <laughs> that's it. He did pin it on her. I saying, know, right, if you didn't get me this evidence in like 24 hours, I'm charging you with the murder. <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty much. And it's like, as well, also, like, like you're thinking this is the end and then to tell the story, obviously, of what fucking uh, Michael Caine's character is like and all that. And then it's when they're sitting in the in the fucking the dining room of a restaurant and they're talking <coughs> about the fucking surgery that he's going to get. Aye. And it's like, it's, the camera, like, all you can see is like, the old, old couple oh, behind yeah. them the, looking. The women... <coughs> <coughs> the old women were perils freaking out, like, visibly gagging. Yeah. Because for some reason, Liz is an expert on fucking gender reassignment, and Peter's fascinated. Yeah. And it's like, what's going yeah. on? Is it like a nice light moment? You're thinking, does it end here? And then it's like, again, the like the lunatics asylum. It was. Uh, it was like one of these things. It's like, like a, it's, it's almost like a second end, and not as not quite as long as the Return of the King. Like. Yeah. It was one of these things where you're just like, what's going on here? And it was just like, man, this is set up weird. Because I feel like, I reckon I'll, 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 let, I'll give you a minute um, to know your real thoughts about the ending. But obviously, again, much like the start, it ends with another kind of misdirect. Another fucking uh, dream sequence. Yeah, it comes full circle. Funnily enough, um, yeah, again then, with the like, fucking the dream shower sequences is what fucking uh, the Palmer done that with Carrie at the end of Carrie. Mm-hmm. This and boy I, loves like, a dream sequence. When they went to go and when they went to go and like, visit a grave and their hand reaches up and all that, ah. and then cuts back to the last in her bed. And it's it's almost the same type of fucking music. Ah, fuck. Like it's got that really. You'd have to check composers like, maybe. Ah, it's like a really fucking. It's like the music's kind of like like compared with like fucking like dread and fucking. It's got like bells and everything in it, mm-hmm. like fucking church just, bells. Again, just like an orchestral suspense going on. Uh, but it's the fact that Michael Caine kills a nurse, and he's like, of course he's going to take her clothes, 
and yeah. all you see is the and fucking. And the camera pans out, and everybody's looking down, watching it. Aye, and like, part of me is thinking, right, where's does this dream sequence start? And it had to have start from there, like. The, the last point of reality in that movie before she wakes up had to be their conversation in, in the cafe. Because yeah. everything after it just looks like something out of a fucking Tim Burton movie. Like, yeah. the, all the blue mood lighting, all the inmates. And it's like it's like a zoo. It's like we're watching a scene out of 12 monkeys. And they're just, they're all going daft. Michael Caine manages to kill a nurse in this very uh, relaxed security fucking insane asylum and just easily chokes her out everyone's like egging them on and then it's just this fucking extended shower sequence and I could tell it was a dream sequence because that last she was in the shower for what felt like 20 minutes and her hair was still dry yeah it was almost like she had a bath beforehand because like the water was quite deep in the bath as well and she's just spent fucking quarter of an hour showering her tits just going <laughs> I guess we'll we'll wait in that the, 18 Look rating. for the soap, eh? <laughs> the soap, that's like, funny. Where, where is it? <laughs> oh, but it was just... One of these things where you're like, come on, Peter. Like, you're, you're kind of waiting for the, like, the hero to kind of show up. And it just goes, yeah. like, boom, dream, end credits. Yeah. And so... Was it Peter that come in, like, like hugged her at the end as well? Assuming so. Aye. That's it. Cause the, 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 unless it was... It's obviously the scene like it shows you the fucking... Like, Michael Caine's obviously opened the door and he's in the, the room in the darkness and then you can see the camera focusing on like the the legs and the shoes. Aye. And, and like, the camera's it's continuously focusing and again, it's building that suspense because she's kidding someone's going to hurt him. Yeah. And it's, and it's a fucking great shot where she's slowly trying to open the, the cabinet to get her fucking razor blade, which didn't yeah. sound like she's got a shit razor blade anyway. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the fucking camera cuts and she's already in the fucking bathroom and then you go and just slits her throat. Aye. It is a good one. Um, what would have been a, a, a good twist end is on that is, you know, how obviously she wakes up for the dream, she's scared and then she gets hugged. If it pans out and it's fucking Detective Marino hugging well, her, hugging her. Ah, he's already had a shot of her. He's just not quite got his clothes <laughs> on yet. Put his lying in bed with his gold chain and tan leather jacket on. <laughs> <laughs> Peter's outside uh... crying. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good. It was like uh... one of these ones where it was believable for a moment because the fucking. It wasn't a killing blow that they hit uh, Dr. Elliot with. They shot him in the shoulder and it obviously just took him down and he was just just lying there yeah. crying on the floor. So it wasn't like headshot. So it could have left the possibility that, of course, there's there's still 20 minutes left of this. Of course he could break out the fucking hospital and come back for one last stab at her. Yeah. But uh, so did did you like that ending? Because remember, in comparison to Blowout, Blowout had a funny ending. Where, like, to be honest, I can't quite remember it, but I do remember that probably being the only thing that spoiled the film for me. Um, oh, was it because obviously Nancy Allen was 
she was the one that died at the end and jumped about with arms and all that. Mm-hmm. And they used, remember, they used her scream for the fucking voiceover of the, oh, the aye, film they were for, producing. Aye, the bad taste, that's it. Yeah, uh, I. I like what I'm saying. It's a film I really need to fucking rewatch. Yeah. Totally, like it justifies why Arrow released these films because yeah. they are great films for fucking back in back in the eighties. Um, so and they're not fucking readily available. Like, luckily enough, yeah. all this stuff was I mean, on I w- Netflix. I didn't think I would go out my way probably pick this up. I thought I seen it for like. Like up to a five, and I'd probably pick it up. Yeah, I, I would definitely pick up Blowout uh, before I'd pick up this. Aye. Uh, yeah. Because it just works that much better, but this is a, like a good follow up in a sense. Like, if I was kind of following yeah. his career, this is not a misstep. This was still him doing really well. Now, was. Yeah. I, I know it might just because it's uh, John Lithgow, but. Did Brian De Palma do Raising Kane as well? I did. He did. Aye, because that's, that's a, you, a you spoke highly of that film. as well. A fucking bonkers film. Like, that is, like, probably one of fucking John Lithgow's best performances. Mm-hmm. And that still fucking gives me the creep thinking about, like, the ending fucking... <laughs> the ending scene is something that I can't get in my fucking... That'll, that'll never get in my head. Aye. Hmm. This one is definitely worth checking in. It's only, like, Eighty odd minutes as well. Nice. Okay. Uh, do you have any last notes on the film? Yeah. Any moments we've missed? Nah, that's pretty much covered everything. Pretty much. Yeah. All right. Cool. Stay tuned. After the break, we'll be back with our thoughts on Stir Crazy. Welcome back. For this third section of the show tonight, we will be covering Sydney Poitiers. God, that's a name to pronounce. Poitier? Poitier. Ah, uh, I think of the second one. Yeah. Alright. Uh, Stir Crazy, starring Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. So, as I just mentioned, it is from director Sydney Poitier. Uh, but saying that, when you look at IMDb, like, directors know sort of like his forte. Like if you kind of look, if you look at the numbers, the statistics, he's got fifty-five acting credits and nine directing credits. Yeah. So and also, I think he was clearly a big name back in the, well, let's say back in the day, because it was maybe sixties, seventies. All yeah. his. Um, I'm trying to think, was he the? I'm trying to think. He was in that like the day of the Jack when I think he was in the remake with Bruce Willis as well. He was like the. The intelligence agent that was like tracking Bruce Willis. Ah, possibly. Well, most likely because uh. the top four that they gave him uh, on IMDb is In the Heat of the Night, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Lilies of the Field, and The Defiant Ones. Mm. Uh, the film is written by Bruce J. Friedman, uh, the writer behind the the Splash movies. And, uh, as of recording this, he had passed away on the 9th of June at the age of 90. Hmm. So. I've still never seen Splash, so. I, I think I watched them back in the day, because Splash was the ones with uh, Tom Hanks, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I'm sure that no one did any plots. Aye, I'm sure. So, the film stars. Gene Wilder as Skip Donahue. Richard Pryor as Harry Monroe. Uh, George Stanford Brown as Rory Schultbrand. Uh, Joe Beth Williams as Meredith. Miguel Angel Cerreres as Jesus Ramirez. Craig T. Nelson as Deputy Ward Wilson. Barry Corbin as Warden Walter Beatty. Uh, Charles Wilden as Blade. Joe Brooks as Len Garb. And Jonathan Banks as Jack Graham. Mike, what is the plot to Stir Crazy? Two friends are wrongly sentenced to life in prison and plan to break out using a prison rodeo show as the, like the dispatching, if you will. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think, when was the first time I've seen this film? And I think it was closely after the passing of Gene Wilder. I think possibly it was on Netflix and it was, it was enough to encourage me just to watch it there and then, but uh, was this the first time that you watched Star Crazy? Nah, I've, I've seen it a few times. I think it was my, like my dad that kind of got me into it. Cause right. I remember like growing up and watching, let's say, See No Evil, Hear No Evil, and all that. I think I seen Star Crazy after I seen See No Evil for uh, Hear No Evil. I've no seen Silver Street. That's like the seventies one that Mel was done it. Yes. Yeah, I've still not seen that one. I think they have uh, four credits uh, together. Let's have a look. It is... Oh, shit, I did have a note, but it's gone. Aye, but it was like Silver Streak, Stir Crazy, Hear No Evil, See No Evil, and I think another one called Another Year. It surprised me because I knew that they had collaborations, but I never knew how many. I always felt it was maybe two or three, but outside of Hear No Evil, See No Evil, and Stir Crazy, they weren't obvious. Anyway, Mike, what did you think of the movie? Uh, I always uh, it never fails to make me laugh. Aye. But I think I watched it last year or the year before. I think it was the first time I've seen it in a while, and I still laughed at all the like usual stuff, and then when I was re-watching it, Earlier in the day, I pretty much laughed at the same stuff, mm-hmm. and I always, always forget about that opening first five ten minutes, and it's oh yeah, some of the funniest shit I've seen. Aye, because that's it. It was just how they end up both getting sacked on the same day, at roughly the same time, yeah. and it was funny because you had Richard Pryor being like a waiter, and this fucking audience, this this table that he's attending to. Are fucking loving the salad, and you're just like, yeah. what's the catch? Then the fucking what was it? The the oregano that they're putting in the soup, the salad, um, yeah. fucking everything happens to be like fucking. Uh, let's go by the character name. yeah, Harry's secret stash. Yeah, and he was raging because he was talking about like it was some. Proper fucking ganja from the homeland. Aye. Like, it was <laughs> the was, finest like, shit. Aye. And now you've what got... What they say? They said that there was a revolution in 65 and they'd be kidding about it because they were all fucked up on this. Exactly. All kind of was asleep. And then cut back to the dining hall and you've got the fucking priest 
who is just off his face. <laughs> and then there's a, a woman it's who... The, it's the woman. The woman that's trying to fucking graft him. Aye. Where he's like, what's <laughs> this feeling? It's, like, it's my leg. And it's like, wait, they're sitting be- beside each other. How... Anatomically, how the fuck is her leg at his crotch? She's uh, fucking dislocated a leg to fucking get in about the the guy's holy spirit. Jesus. Yeah. And and then it's like when she's like, "Oh, like how often do you get it?" And he's like, "Oh, but usually <laughs> a, a glass after glass dinner a week or something." Yeah. Aye. Uh, Aye. Uh, and it was it was a good fucking start. And then parallel to that, you have hard not Harry Skip being his part-time store detective. But he was also having like a fanboy moment because he was positive she was in a play. And then he was yeah. positive that it was like fur coat and knee knickers. Like he was convinced she was in the scud under that dress, a, a trench yeah. coat. And I was surprised you never kind of got like an answer to that. I think if it was in the sense where the woman eventually just fucking whips open her coat like to see that she's either fully clothed or that she's been caught. Oh, he's actually right. Exactly, because uh-huh. with his one, you kind of him pushing her, pushing her, and then it just cuts to him at the bar having the drink. Mm. So I was surprised that it didn't kind of have a a reveal. I do like the the difference between the two characters, like how Skip is your glass half full kind of guy. He's bold, naive, and like overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, and I like kind how of like the mayor like relaxed one of the two. Aye, he's like trying to talk, like when they go on their trip, he's trying to talk with like the rednecks and with the punching bag, and Harry's the opposite. Like he's probably street smart, uh, he, but he's constantly living in fear. Like just the thought of I'm gonna go over there and talk to them, and Harry's like, oh no 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 no, Denny Denny Denny. <laughs> fucking skip it just like prancing across and it just comes across as like kind of like feminine a bit of a dandy just we play around with a punching bag and it just pisses off rednecks it's the same when he like he tries to introduce himself to was a grossberger and he just fucking gar like snarls at him and he fucking runs for his life mm. and what was like the kind of the true profession of them you had skip as like a playwright and then I reckon if Harry was like at all related to like entertainment or plays, I was trying to see what the if the the connection between them was like a, like a work one or the shared the same passion. But it was Skip was clearly yeah, just choked for well, like, like writer's like, block. Like that was like a part time sort of like joke, like a part time job sort of thing. Aye, and his true passion was was like writing, but he was just suffering for writer's block, and they thought New York was the problem. And I loved um, how he pitched it, like how he convinced Harry to go to the was it California with him. Ah, because he said it for the first time in the life there were three pretty much. Exactly, and he says, <laughs> "Just imagine it. We're down at the beach. There's these topless women, and it's it's more or less the image of tits bouncing in the moonlight." And Harry was sold. <laughs> <laughs> it just did, and it's like just like just obviously like before all that like when they were in the like the pub and all that it's when the the guy comes in for like and he's not paid the taxi fare. Oh yeah, I uh, Chico. Hi uh, Chico and Alex or something. And yeah. 
obviously uh, fucking it's another example uh, of that. skip walking on over saying i'm gonna sort this out and I like and how, like he, how he doesn't he like how he doesn't notice yeah, fucking Chico's got fucking Alice's nuts, fucking. He's got him by like, the balls. The exactly. Aye. And then, like, I just, it looks so fucking so like. Yeah, because it's just those close-up shots of him twisting whatever it he's got a fucking yeah. hold of. So they're giving it had the poor boy's ball bag, and he's just wrenching it. I mean, if you could tell me that Gene and Richard were after a pass on cocaine on this film. You know what? I would probably believe you. <laughs> like I, I see, right? Like, like when you think about like like my older and that, like you know, like when you were a kid, he was like Willy Wonka and all that. And, yes. Like, you wouldn't have thought that fucking that you, like he was like into that, but like clean cut and whatever. But mm. then again, some of the stuff that he done. But I, I reckon like, thinking blazing like, saddle, yeah, right, uh, fucking young Frankenstein, exactly. But even in Willy Wonka, mm. I think he would be half his pass as well, because there's always the most eccentric characters he gets to play. Yeah. And it's this one where... And like, the thing is, like, like that, that's like, like that eccentricness like, comes into play like, quite a lot in the film. Yes. Uh, originally, I forgot about the whole rodeo side of it, and had convinced myself that they were trying to do like a, a one flew over the cuckoo's nest and just pretend to be mental patients so they get out of it. And I really thought that mm. when it came to the, when they're being led to their cells and they start doing like, the, it's like Nam flashbacks where <laughs> Skip knocks the baton at the guy's hand and he just starts shouting and then he jumps up and he's going daft and Harry has to calm him down. As soon as Harry calms him down, he rips his shirt off and starts getting like flashbacks and he's fucking grabbing him by the hand, breaking his fingers or or yeah. vice versa. And they were doing like a countdown for Harry's. Don't worry. And he's pretending to put pills in his mouth, and they're counting down to three. And he pop, and he's back to normal. But yeah, fucker, they were screaming. Eh, they were just. again, it was just like a full-on Nam PTSD, fucking screaming for their dear lives, and it looked like they almost convinced the guards. Like they just kind of looked at him. That one guard that had no sunglasses on. Almost had like an empathetic look in his eyes, but because I was like, "Oh, they're gonna get battered the new," and they just let them away with it. And I kind of just thought, mm. "Are they leaning into the angle of being absolute crazies?" And then, of course, when uh, Skip gets led into the like the chief's office and they fucking reveal the the fuck the 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 what the fuck they cried the bull riding machine. Aye. And you're just thinking, oh, fuck, yeah, is this film? Mm. Um, I mean, what are some here? Do you have any notes about the first half? Like, any points um, you enjoyed? I do quite like, like obviously, like, when, like, when they get arrested and, uh, and they go into the holding cell. Oh, yes. And they're doing, like, the whole, like, I'm bad sort of thing, and then they go in. And mm. then they end up, uh, as old guys, like, Catching like the flyers or whatever. Yes. And fucking skip slaps. Um, I played fucking Apollo Creed's like fucking trainer. Oh yeah. Aye. And he goes and does he not end up fucking breaking the punching the, the, the cigarette? Aye, ends up like punching. Aye. Of this jacked black dude with a cowboy hat. 
And he's just like, I'm sorry. Here, I'm, I'm so sorry. And he like just sticks a joint <laughs> just, in his mouth. He comes across as like so like kind of feminine as well. Yeah, he's like, oh fuck, look what I just hit. And it's when they go across to, to Harry and Skip. And he's like, you got a light? And Harry's going hyper. He's like, we got a light? Oh, um, we got a light. We got a light. And he, he gets to the fucking match. And he can't he strike it. He's going off his brow, <laughs> off his teeth, uh, his tongue. And of course, he manages to strike it perfectly off the dude's chest hair. And it's like, that's yeah. how fucking hard this dude is. And he's like, oh, no. And he's letting him like, light up. And he's like, you're short. It's like, yeah, I'm short. My dad was short. My mom's short. Even uh, my, my brother my was brother so was short, short but you don't really see him. him. <laughs> 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 oh, man, I fucking like, like Richard Pryor, man. Like, fucking, like, the stuff that he done, man. Ah, if, holy shit, that was funny. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like he's having a mental break. Exactly. Like, these dudes could fuck, just tear them in half if they wanted to. But um, so I following up the, like the the holding cell, is when they get taken. Like obviously, the court case is at the windy. They're fucked. What was it? One hundred twenty-five years. One hundred twenty-five years. Aye. <laughs> and it's when they get taken to the big prison, and that's when Harry starts doing his routine. Is right? Okay, and he starts changing the way he walks. He starts strutting. The voice drops down deep. And he's like, I'm bad. Oh, we're bad. And they just start doing all these things. Like, if we, if we go in here and look soft, we're fucked. And he's like, we're going to get bad if we better look bad so we don't get fucked. And they're all building themselves up. And there's fucking um, Skip start doing martial arts. Like, he starts going, Wah! and just starts fucking daddy can trying to make himself look hard as well. <laughs> That's when they get him. Sentence like 125 years, and fucking obviously, Bethlehem are absolutely fucking like perplexed and like, stunned thinking they the wrong case, exactly. Uh, and and like fucking like fucking Harry, like, can't even do 100. I know, and he was like, absolute mental fucking breakdown. Harry was going off about saying, I won't even have grandkids at 100, and it's like, well, nothing. <laughs> but it's like after a wee while when they kind of settle. In the prison, they get like the little click going. Like as we mentioned, you got George uh, Stanford Brown as a uh, Rory, who is your um sorry, camp typical aye black inmate. Um, yeah, it's when it. <laughs> I could explain that. It's when it's when they're, it's when they're in the mess hall and like fucking uh, Harry's like, oh, can I get like a, a cheeseburger and fucking like a like a chocolate milk or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. And and then like Rory comes down and he's like, I can get you that special cheeseburger. Ah, exactly. Like, and he's like, no, Harry can. I don't know what you, I like. I don't want to owe you anything. Type of thing. It's just like the homophobia was just oozing out of him. Like every time he kind of puts his hand down, and Rory puts his hand on top. It's like, Whoa! even at the end when he gets a smooch after Rory when he's all doled <laughs> up into the woman. He's like, he's like, like he let it away because he thought he was kissing the woman. They realised the light bulb, and he's like. Ugh! Sitting scratching his tongue almost. And then you had like um uh, Jesus, who was I I can he he was just kind of the partner for Skip. Because like Rory and Harry yeah. were 
like a duo, and then you had uh, Jesus with Skip, and it was I reckon if it was he kind of done the rodeo as well from the looks of it. Yeah, and then of course I was uh, I was kind of comparing Jesus to fucking uh, Morgan Freeman's character in Shawshank Redemption. Oh yeah, he's the one that's been there. Yep, been there like the longest sort of thing. Aye. Exactly. Like he can, he can all the ends and stuff. Yeah. And like then the the fifth part of their group, what's it, Grossberger? Aye. Uh, no, I, I actually never mentioned his name when I read off the cast. It was Erlen Van Linth as Grossberger. And when I looked him, did you look him up on IMDb? Aye, uh, he played... Um... Dynamo and Running Man, aye. Aye, my mind was blowing this afternoon when... And, okay, fair, he, he had the build, I just never... Uh, you have to dress him up like a Christmas tree. Then I'll notice him. Put him about in his, <laughs> his wee robot, like his wee fucking tin car to drive about. But fuck, I just, the penny never dropped. And I was like, well, I guess for a guy his size, that made sense. But the fucking sad note of that, was it was kind of like oh where is he nowadays, and oh, he died. Eh? Running Man was eighty seven, and he also died of heart failure in nineteen eighty seven, and it was like oh fuck, dead at the age thirty four. And it was like jeez. So he must have I say must have only been in his twenties when he was in stuff crazy. Aye, and you did you did kind of have that young look to him, like especially like those moments where. Sure, the majority of the film, he sets this intimidating Aye, character, but by the time Harry and Skip win him around, and they're sitting singing songs and like in their plush Plain cell, fucking, Aye. they're all like playing like te- like what is it? It was almost like snow a fucking snow poker. It's they're playing some sort of other card game. Find it like fucking like Harry's cheating or behind exactly the all the fuck up his drawers. Aye. Mm. The fucking deputy was getting this one. You know, Deputy Wilson, the the guy that was constantly just trying to break uh, Skip. Uh, and that, I think that whole ten minute, like, fucking rundown of them, like, trying to break them was probably my favourite bit in the film. Aye. Although, so you get them where he's going to be doing the, the rodeo and all that, and then obviously they find out they're going to use it. An excuse to like break out and stuff, and then they find it obviously that fucking if they win, like none of the prisoners get like the the money at all. Aye, but that was... and then it's when obviously he turns, he turns uh, the warrants off and doing saying it's like mum was like a was a veterinarian and all that, and she doesn't allow it and stuff. Aye, and then he starts talking to his mother. She starts answering mm. him back, and he's sitting looking to the corner and no, no, mother, we'll, we'll talk about this when I get back <laughs> to the cell. Stop it. <laughs> and it's just it's just that whole sequence where like the fucking wake them up at like four in the morning and oh I to go fucking dig <laughs> and and it's, it's when fucking like Harry's at the wall like sleeping he's like it's like they've stole the toilet <laughs> and it's like no it's there there and then obviously they're fucking they're breaking them in the field and then it's like you notice the guy with a bucket of water. He puts it properly the one. Yes, that. he tucks it and then gives him the other one. Aye, and <laughs> all the holes <laughs> drilled in it, and he's so desperate just to get a wee, a wee swally of water, and it's no happening. And, I even... and then obviously it's like that. 
it's the when they get back to their cell and uh, Harry's like almost in rigor mortis and he's like oh. <laughs> <laughs> and Skip just like just fucking jumps to bed his wee, like, chain, like his wee like kung fu shit Aye, like, meditating fucking squealing and <laughs> Harry's just trying to get to his top bunk and the fucking the tears ah, fucking brilliant man and he's just like and oh. then like, it cuts to the next it cuts to the next morning and oh, they get woken up again and he tries to put his leg in the freezer and he's got all this Skip's leg and he's like, I can't, I can't feel my leg! Ah! Oh, God! <laughs> it's just like, it's the, you're putting on the wrong cunt's trousers! <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it, it was, it was, fucking that film must have been hilarious to witness, like, when it was happening, like, the uh, crew must have. But surely... Surely there must have been stuff that was like reels of outtakes, eh? like just folk losing their shit at whatever they were spontaneously coming out with. Because the thing is, like, I feel like if you watch something like Richard Pryor's like stand-up stuff, this stuff he comes out with is fucking brilliant. Nah, he's on fire. Abs, absolutely brilliant. And then you had the deputy where he was, he singles out Skip and fucking like hangs him for the ceiling. Where he puts him in like ah, it's sort of like restraints then... <laughs> that you'd see on like a bed, but he had him like hanging for the ceiling and his legs, and he's just suspended in motion. And when he goes to let him out, is it hey, here? Thanks, deputy man. My eleven-year shoulder injuries—it's it, gone. You fixed it. And it's like just the opposite reaction that he's looking for. He wants to break this man, and he's like, he's just no giving it to him. It's like when he puts him in the hole or puts him in like lockdown. And just locks him in and just leaves him. And the, the fucking first chance he gets to let him out, Skip's like, oh, he's like, no, I want to go back in. Yeah, give me another day. Well, he's, One he's, more he's day. Almost like Fundy's cell or something, eh? Yeah, exactly. Like, he's just treating his, like, solitudes, like, isolating himself from the world. And it's just like, whatever you're doing, it is not working. And that's where they fucking throw Grossberger into their cell with them. And there's just oh, that it's fucking Harry's reaction. Where I where they're side by side and, <laughs> and Harry can't move. Like his eyes obviously getting crushed against the wall. Yeah, it's like Grossbeggers breathing out and Harry's just decompressing in front of them and he's fucking <laughs> almost greeting and then it's almost enough to fucking break skip where he can't even look, he just has to turn around and <laughs> And cut to them playing cards the next day. Best friends. They've managed to convert them. Uh, no. but, uh, I, I, I still fucking mind watching it with my dad and I. And he used to always pity himself laughing at fucking Harry's reaction when Grossberger was in the cell with him. <laughs> That's like, you just see the white of his eyes. He's almost like a cartoon character. They're bugging out almost. And he's just... just going, and he's just been fucking squished. Aye. Deputy Wilson, when I was looking it up on IMDb just to see if he'd been in anything uh, obvious, I never knew he was uh, the voice of Mr. Incredible for The Incredibles. Aye. Because he has Aye, that really known in... face. Because he was in Poltergeist as well. Right. It's been a load of shit. I've still never I seen mean, Poltergeist. Half the shit is... I know, I've literally, I think maybe I've seen it in the mid 90s and that was it. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of just waiting for it to be available. Like only, I'm always looking on like, say, like TCM and that. Oh yeah. Aye. What was the strange thing about this film? It, it felt like 
I never did a time check, I should have, but I felt like it was well over the first hour of the movie, we then get introduced to what we could say is like our female lead, Joe Beth oh, Williams, um, uh, Meredith. Yeah. And it, I don't if she even counts. She she is the only sort of female cast member that has like a sizable part, but even it just felt like they're two thirds through the film and then the lawyer shows up with his, his bright cousin and is like right away fucking skip is it like enamored by her where he's just like you ever think about being an inmate maybe and it's the look on his face like he, he looks so willard like the the crow's feet and like he looks so old and or maybe just so tired i'm always surprised to see that stir crazy was one of the earliest um combinations like between like gene wilder and richard pryor and I never, I keep forgetting that uh, Hear No Evil, See No Evil is, is like 89. Yeah. Aye. That's quite late on it. Exactly. You just <clears> think <throat> these are like mid 80s and. But this was such an early one for both of them. I do like how she was like the, the go getter where she was saying, oh, well, we think it's this. I'm going to go to all the tattoo joints and there's a good chance that there's a strip club in there and they could go out there. So I'm going to get a part-time job at the strip club. And when they give you that shot of the strip joint, I was surprised that they were classy enough to not actually make her a stripper. Yeah. Because there was like this shot of like a brunette going about tits out and all this. And then it's like, oh man, like, is this her fucking going undercover as an actual stripper? But... It, reveals that she's just a waitress but it was strange because mm-hmm. it felt like she never had a real significant part it was like she was there to kind of tie up the the story on the outside like she was able mm-hmm. to kind of find the guys <clears throat> and it, it, it sounded like a stretch where she's like i'm gonna go to the tattoo parlors and i'm gonna check the strip joint and then just by luck that she notices a tattoo on a guy's hand i could say well because she spoke to like the wee lassie. I remember they were going to go with the appeal. Yes, exactly. Because it was a wee lassie, they couldn't like. Ah, the, the court wouldn't take that as evidence from a six-year-old girl. Ah. Mm-hmm. When it comes to obviously the rodeo, it's one hell of an elaborate breakout. Ah, it's quite clever actually. Yeah, because it's just the the planning where like the spurs on their boots were then changed into to tools to take out the bolts and the fence and and then you had them going through like the air vents to get into the bathrooms and it was like huh it's it, it was definitely yeah, a you never even get like a or you never get like a like like them showing like blueprints of the yeah and how they're going to go about it and stuff I reckon if it all just relied on uh, Jesus yeah because like, he'd been there before, and I did feel uh, bad in the sense for like the the chief, you know, um, the main guy that was in charge of it all, and he's having this wager oh, with the, the others. Yeah, I was like, a, or was he cried a sheriff maybe? Uh, I no, you're right. Uh, warden oh, B. Aye, and he had his running bet with the warden Sampson, and there were. It always seemed to be that they must have lost year after year. It was like six years or something. 
and they thought now that uh, Harry, uh, sorry, Skip, was this miracle when it comes to riding bulls, which is like completely out of the blue. He never mentions any background in rodeo or fucking being with horses and all this that. The next thing is like it's just like a natural talent all of a sudden, and it's just how fucking excited the warden was, thinking that's it, we're gonna win it this year. And oh, it's fucking. It's, uh, going back to that scene though, when obviously, when Skip's on the fucking the bull, whatever the fuck it is, the Aye. mechanical one in the office, and then that music plays, and fucking Harry slaps the warden, and then can he realise what he's done? <laughs> Aye. But it was one of these ones where I felt like they were trying, like, obviously, you had the. Deputy, like, uh, Wilson, was still trying to fuck one because it was just, I felt like he wanted them to fail, but I think it was just because he just detested Skip so much. Yeah, uh, because he put that thing, like, on the bullet. Yeah, and it was like, like they never kind of showed you what it did. Like, I, I, at first I thought, is that a shocker, some sort of taser or something, or, and I was just like, you just see him slapping something on it, and you never see it again. Because, right enough, sure, the horse is angry, but it's not any more than you'd expect from a rodeo. I was kind of expecting, like, a wee, uh, like, a close-up shot of it shocking, and then, like, the horse going daft and fucking skip getting yeah. launched, but it was bizarre. i tell you what I did like about the fucking rodeo thing was the, the guy, like, over the tannery in the commentary when he talks about, like, uh, like giving him the background on skip. Yeah. and the guy that won it and all that and he was like saying that fucking he went to go make a, like a cash withdrawal at a bank that he doesn't have an account in and, uh-huh. and then he was on about saying that so and so got caught like selling white powder and it's no talcum powder and all that <laughs> uh, the fucking cheeky commentary on then mates but I did like um, how they were eventually kind of sneaking out one by one and then when it came to the turn for Skip to get out. And you had uh, Jonathan Banks. Like, I'd seen his Aye, name in was... the credits, and I was like, holy shit, and did not recognise him at all because he spends half the film cutting a boot with a cowboy hat and black sunglasses on. Yeah. So it wasn't until like he kind of goes to confront... he kind of clocks on to Grossberg um, with, with Skip. Aye. Where they're walking the wee, the over panel sort of exactly, thing. and it was brilliant because Grossbecker just gives him that smack on the chin, and he's out. It was it was clever. I like how they managed to get out, get changed. Although I thought um, I thought uh, Harry's like, costume was quite clever. He was dressed like a like a sheriff and had the total fake fucking fuzz on his on his chin. Yeah, like in his phone ass. Ah, that great moment because he was sweating so much it started falling to pieces in his hands, <laughs> and he was sitting panicking, sticking it all back on. And then obviously Rory was the best, like, meant to be his wife or whatever. Aye. And then you had um, Jesus, his, like, brother, like, the fucking peanut like, popcorn vendor. Exactly. And snuck them out of there to the minivan. Aye. Yeah. And it it was funny because you kind of go to all this effort of them doing this elaborate escape only for Meredith and the fucking lawyer to show up at the end saying, You're free! We got the other guys! And we're like, we're free? I was like, yeah, you're free. And they're all just fucking cheering. And then, as they're about to drive away, for some reason, 
um, Skip convinces Meredith, like, fuck it, I'll just leave and go to California with you. The woman's not even got a suitcase. <laughs> she can't just drop everything and run away with you. But... Like, the thing is, all like, like, obviously, like, they're saying they're free and stuff, but... The fact that they've they now would... broken out of jail might get them into trouble. Aye. It was kind of Aye. one of these ones where it's like, ah, fuck it, they've gotten away, and there's, like, last second, oh, wait, now you get the girl as well. Credits. And it's just kind of got that wee happy sing-song over the end of it, where it's just, like, just, it's almost like a Smokey in the Band that just, like, fun-loving tune, everyone's happy, Set, like, send the, the audience home happy, where they get away with it in the end, and the police never find out. And it's strange, because it's, yeah, yeah. it's no a short film, either. Nah, it's, well, just shy of two hours. Yeah, it's, like, an, it's either an hour 45 or an hour 50, and you do feel it in the third act, where this almost lags, but it's just all the the amount of preparation into the escape and then with it being executed it's, it's you feel like you're seeing every single step of it like for each of yeah. them breaking out and it's like okay we get they're breaking out but that's like kind of very minor not negatives but they're just like it is it feels like if this was 90 minutes it would probably be gold but you'd be you'd be fucking scared to take scenes out of that film like if you're wanting it 90 minutes you're looking to chop at least 50 now and how many of them contains like little nuggets of gold for like Richard Pryor and, and Gene yeah I think you would maybe a thing and I think they would they would probably short in the rodeo like doing a wee bit ah because they did feel like they I think what they would do is I think they would maybe they would maybe cut out the the tiebreaker they had came with Italy. Oh, for the money, aye. aye. And they showed you those shots of them uh, trying to avoid the bull with the money on top and clearly a very different body double for Gene Wilder. Yeah. <laughs> and I was watching it on like a fucking fuzzy DVD and I could still tell that guy wasn't Gene Wilder being chased about by the bull. Nah, because how old would he have been there? How old was he when he died in his oh, 70s? Possibly. 70s, 80s? Like he didn't look young. Yeah, you know he, I mean? he has that great aged look to him. Um, let's yeah. see, he died in 2016 at the age of 83. So 2016, oh. take off 36. So he was in his late 40s. Mm. Yeah. Aye. No, so he still looks kind of good because even when you see him in the likes uh, uh, Hear No Evil, See No Evil, like, you don't even remember them being uh, that old either. He would have been, what, in his fucking 50s at that exactly. point. Exactly. So they weren't exactly and old I'm sure men. Fucking, I'm sure Pryor was probably in his 50s mm-hmm. like, at some point in that time as well. Yeah. Overall, it is, it is a fucking fun film. It's definitely something that you can get a laugh out of. Uh, like all the, it is really all I guess just fucking I think it's just a like like hardest breakdowns that fucking like completely fucking like break me. Yeah. Yeah. And it is it's all really laid heavy in the first half. It's the second half when they, they kinda of have to get the story going and plan this this breakout where it, it's not as fucking ha ha funny. 
because it, it's all story driven but it's just all the material in that first half just fucking splits my sides okay so uh, that puts a cap on our uh, 1980s uh, like a wee condensed summer season almost so, yeah, we haven't actually thought too heavily into like the rest of our schedule for this year because yeah. fucking everything's up in the air like yeah I, I was moving anyway and we were going to take a step back we didn't expect a global pandemic to show up as well and fucking ground us all nah. so but it seems that it's no fucking finished either I know that's it and you were just thinking Jesus Christ but oh, I just want cinemas to be open again like yeah. I'll, I'll go in a fucking hazmat suit. I didn't mind just fuck it, Darth Vader mask or just I'll wear that shit. Just let me go to the cinema and uh, it's brilliant now because we've all got social distancing, two meters. That just means no cunt should come near me. Yeah, I I'm getting used to the space. I like going into my fucking work and being like maybe one of the three people on that floor. Where it's usually fucking hundreds of people crammed in an office. I could park my car at the front of the building. It's amazing. So I feel like there is loads of slight benefits. But yes, it also is a fucking global pandemic. Where it's like fucking... It's like well over half a million people have died. And over 10 million people have fucking contracted this virus. It's like, Jesus... Fuck, thanks. I sound like Michelle was telling me last night that uh, the infection rates went up 600% in Florida in the last like week or so. Uh. Aye. And that's it. You just think, maybe Americans are being silly about it. Or there's there's certain sections well, of them it. are being so silly. And then you get to see images over here of, was like Bournemouth Beach or something. And Aye. you could not see the sand fit all the fucking people on the beach. And you're like... Nah. What? Surely on that beach, a shred of common sense somewhere. Like on Monday as well, like when you you see like the videos of like the queuing along like Princess Street. Oh, for folk to get back into Primark. Um, I was like, okay, sure, I'd be the same for CEX. But (laughs) honestly, I wouldn't actually. But it's just thinking, man, do you really need fucking strappy tops and fucking tights or flip flops all of a sudden like just uh, Jesus Christ be like Obdi Elves and either order shit online or you, uh, you don't need to go browse it's not like they're fucking opening up with their fucking pandemic line of summer yeah. clothes and I'm like, I'm buzzing at fucking like HMVs a little bit I'd rather still order all my shit online exactly just but get sent to your house I mean, fuck, what if I... Ah, I was going to say, what have I ordered recently? But the only thing I could think of is um, Operation Condor, which I watched earlier this week, and man, that's still a fucking fun film. And uh, it's, quite an, it's quite an extended cut on it. That's, that is what I watched. It was uh, just, I think, a few minutes over two hours. And I'd have to mm. watch the... I think the extended cut is what we've always had. And then there's the Hong Kong cut, which might be tighter. So, I need to compare them both. And then I watched uh, Prince of Darkness after it, and I just forgot how gross that film is. Yeah. 
Like it's just really just liquids getting squirted in Fox Moves. I'm like, oh. and the bugs. There's so much <laughs> fucking bugs. And Alice Cooper. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so yes, that is our 1980s episode over and done with. Uh, next time on the Films and Swear and Movie Podcast, we return for episode 251. Next time on the podcast, it will be a Bob Hoskins double bill with A Long Good Friday and Mona Lisa. Showing a wee bit of love for old Bob. And I mean, other than that, you could uh, follow us on social media. Uh, go at yeah. FAS Podcast to find us on Facebook. Twitter and Instagram. Mike, yours is still is it Mikey Van B? Alright, so that covers you for Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Aye, yeah. Aye, and I, if if you have any interest in following me on Letterboxd, it is Stu1985 because that is how old I feel. But <laughs> Yeah, um, that is all the social media shit. If you want to find out more about us uh, or the, the podcasts we've done, the reviews we've written, go to filmsandswearing.com. You'll get to see the whole back catalogue of everything we've done, all prior 249 episodes, audio commentaries, fucking bonus episodes, Oscar reports... Uh, reviews of five hour uh, fucking Kurt Russell extravaganza exactly fucking episode 200 where there was like six maybe seven Kurt Russell films right reviewed with like six or seven different guests easily one of the biggest accomplishments we've done as a podcast was fucking getting all that shit together getting it edited and being exactly five hours long I almost considered doing that again for this and then I remembered that was a lot of fucking work and it almost broke my laptop trying to export a five hour podcast with like six different fucking chunks of audio. It was it was like surgery, man. It was a piece of work. <laughs> but shit. One of the, easily one of our best episodes. Other than that, Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen, it is it is the end of episode 250. I have been your host, Stuart Sullen, and joining me across the internet tonight is Magic Mike Christie. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, fuck off and tune in next week. I can open it. I can, I can, I can. Okay. It's an invisible one. Is it? <laughs> Say bye-bye. Bye. 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 <laughs>